Hello and welcome to episode 11 of the Cast, the podcast about the films of Paul Nashi. I am Rod Barnett. I'm Troy Gwynn. And we are here to usher you through House of Psychotic Women. We will take your hands and walk you through the door. And then we'll leave you, really, yeah. to kind of just fend for yourself. <laughs> this is a film known by many different titles. Yes. And we're not actually going to call it House of Psychotic Women because it's not really the title it ought to go by. <laughs> this is Blue Eyes of the Broken Doll. There were several other titles, actually. I was kind of surprised by this. I only, I only thought that there were two. There were the two titles. Uh, it was called House of, The House of Doom, <laughs> which was the title it was given on, on US TV for some reason. I don't know why. The right. House of Doom. But... Blue Eyes of the Broken Doll, a beautiful title, and uh, with that title, basically does scream, this is a giallo. Yeah. This is a thriller. Yeah. It's our first foray into this uh, particular genre here in Nashi Cast. Uh, we did a crime thriller at one point, but this is that was not the same thing. This is actually, I guess, our first uh, it's our first Nashi film we're doing that's in that uh, the genre that would either be, I guess, psychological or thriller or, you know, yeah. slash giallo. Well, the uh, was very interesting. The uh, the BCI DVD of this has a commentary track with uh, director Carlos Alred and Nashi, mm -hmm. and they talk about themselves. They talk about uh, the kind of difference between supernatural horror mm -hmm. and more realistic horror, or yeah. the difference between fantastical and realistic horror. And this being much more the realistic horror, there's absolutely nothing that uh, requires a great leap of mm -hmm. belief for a viewer mm -hmm. in this. When you say giallo, there are, there are giallo fans who would say, no, 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 giallos are only made by Italians. Yeah, exactly. It's only That's an Italian yeah. <laughs> thing. But come on, people. I mean, a giallo can be made anywhere and everywhere. And we're talking about, uh, come on, series of murders going on, black-gloved killer, mm -hmm. bizarre reason, you know, bizarre psychosexual reasons for things going on the <laughs> yeah. way they are in yeah. the first place. Yeah. It's a giallo. And it's a damn good one. Mm -hmm. This is a film yeah. I was very happy to revisit. And I will say this, of course... Anybody who listens to this podcast knows that uh, we spoil these movies. We go point by point through these yeah. movies. This is one of the first times where I honestly feel kind of guilty mm -hmm. for doing this because this is a murder mystery. Right. And we are going to spoil the living hell yeah. out of it. Yeah. And uh, one of the the things we've got to warn people up front, you know, if you haven't seen this film, don't listen to this podcast until you've seen the movie. Luckily, mm -hmm. it's a fairly, it's not, it's not a difficult one to get your hands on to right. see. But this one, we're going to ruin the murder mystery for you. Yeah. And I will tell you up front that uh, even as somebody who's seen this movie multiple times, I've probably seen this movie six or seven or eight mm -hmm. times in my life, I still forget mm -hmm. one of the things that happens yeah. at the end. Well, this is only the second time for me to see it, and the first time I saw it was years and years ago. And uh, so, yeah, so it totally snuck up on me again. Yeah, so it's 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 interesting. It uh, does its it does its job well. Mm -hmm. But uh, so this is uh, this is podcast number eleven for the Nashi Cast, Blue Eyes of the Broken Doll, and uh, I guess we'll get right into it. <laughs> I'm not the same as my sister. Son of a bitch. He wasn't satisfied with just killing her. Gouged out her eyes. <laughs> the blue eyes of the broken doll. <laughs> morning, Pierre. Good morning, Doctor. We need you down at the morgue. He's committed another killing. 
the blue eyes of the broken doll. film begins we we're on the road in the north of france we see paul nashi playing a character who we soon learn's name is gil mm-hmm. or gilles as some or of them gilles, call some of them, yeah mm-hmm. depending on how you want to pronounce it and, and under the opening credits we see he is hitchhiking on uh, these uh, these uh, french back roads attempting to get a ride he appears to have uh, all of his worldly possessions in a bag mm-hmm. a knapsack over on his back and uh, as the music plays and here's an odd here's here's where we go ahead and get into this as the music plays under the credits, as we watch this happen, as we watch, the editing gives us the idea that nobody's picking him up. Right. You know, car goes by and keeps going. And, mm-hmm. and the music playing under it, it almost feels comic. Yeah. <laughs> I know yeah. you almost think you're in sort of in for a sort of lighthearted romp here. Yeah, yeah. exactly. And, and lighthearted no, romp through insanity is what it turns out to be. <laughs> yeah, really. No one, no one stops for him at all until finally mm-hmm. a guy, uh, a farmer... With a tractor, mm-hmm. with a with a hay uh, a hay wagon pulled behind it, right. stops and gives him a ride in the hay wagon. Uh, on the way, we hear uh, him asking the farmer, "Hey, you know, I'm 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 a guy looking for work. Anything around here?" And he says, "No, not really. I want to, tra-, you know." And they mention this particular town mm-hmm. called uh, Peru's. Peru's, right? And uh, you might want to try there, but I don't, you know, I, I don't know if you're gonna have much luck there either. So he lets him off. Tractor driving farmer lets him off at the cross at the crossroads. <laughs> And uh, Nashi walks on into uh, Peru's, which appears to take a little bit, of, a little while. Right. And uh, goes into the the what seems to be kind of the, the cafe, the cafe, the kind of central place where uh, this little small village where people kind of kind of tend to congregate. Goes up, orders himself a little bit of food. He's got a little bit of money, not a lot, but he mm. uh, he orders himself something to eat. He orders uh, a cheese sandwich and mm. wine, which okay, we're in France. <laughs> I get it. Yeah, cheese and wine. I was I was hoping there'd be somebody with a beret on there somewhere, <laughs> and a straight, you know, an artist with a beret back there painting or something, just so we'd known, you know, just to make sure we knew we were in France. But well, you know, this this was you know just smart filmmaking because it's made in Spain, but we've got to somehow hide mm. the fact that it's mm. actually not. Spain. 
Spain. It's got to be Frenchy. What would they do? They'd eat cheese. <laughs> <laughs> but the uh, the lady behind the uh, the bar, as soon as he starts asking, you know, hey, do you wouldn't happen to know if there's you know is there anybody any offering any work mm-hmm. around here? Yeah. She immediately gets this look on her face and like, yeah, why don't you pay for your food right now? Yeah, she's not not exactly. Uh, she's where's not this French hospitality we've been here. Uh, <laughs> you know, but I'm she's like basically pay for it and leave. But by the way, I have to at this point congratulate you on the uh, well placed product uh, product placement there uh, down at the end of the bar. I don't know if you. Uh, uh, oh God, the sign down at the uh, in the scenes where he's talking to the waitress. There's a sign down at the very end of the bar for a cognac uh, Barnett. Oh, was there? Yeah, I was thinking well placed oh ride. Uh, so you, it, 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 it couldn't have. If only it said a bloody pit of Is ride there? production would have been a better. Uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, but no. That's right. Remember, this podcast is a bloody pit of rod yeah, production, yeah. and apparently, and brought I to you by Barnett Cognac. Barnett Cognac, <laughs> drink up. We'll make more. Somehow or another. Speaking of drinking up or lack of drinking up, uh, I have to. I just amuse me that he takes his one sip of wine and then leaves. Oh, yeah, you know, leaves. It's just a, well, he takes the sandwich. He with takes him, a sandwich. He which takes is smart. one sip of wine. Apparently, for a guy who's got very little to spend, he's uh, he's he's willing to let a whole glass of wine go. So, well, here's my first bit of trivia for you. Okay, let's hear it. Do you know who the uh, waitress or the the lady behind the counter, who's you know appears throughout the film throughout the film? Do you know who she is? No, I do not. Her name is. Pilar Bardem. Oh, now, okay. Uh, that, now that last name, it, that last name, which you happen to be maybe the mother of She a, is the mother of, uh, of Javier, Javier Bardem. Uh, wow, yes. wow. That is this film's connection to the Coen brothers. <laughs> Believe <laughs> it or interesting, not. Interesting, very cool. Now, the amazing thing is this lady has had an amazing career. She's still making stuff. Wow. wow. She's st- I mean, she's got something. I mean, it's coming out next year. Wow. She has never stopped working as far as I can tell, and has been in a bazillion things. I saw her in a film in the 90s called uh, Vacas, this uh, very bizarre film. Wow. Yeah, she's been in, uh, well, she was also, she had a, she had a role in, the, in uh, the Mummy's Revenge, or Vengeance of the Mummy as well. Really, did she? Yeah, it's apparently a small role, but she was yeah. in there. Hmm. So um, her, her first work was in 1965, and she's still working today. Yeah, that's incredible. That's and, of course, you know, her son as well, <laughs> working in film. <laughs> But uh, yeah, that was a really bizarre thing to learn. And if I had not, uh, mm-hmm. if I had not picked up on that myself in that commentary track mm-hmm. with Allred uh, and, and Nashi, they pointed out as well. Um, and to this day, I bet she wonders how she made it through a Paul Nashi film without getting nude or seduced by <laughs> by Paul Nashi <laughs> by his character. She his just film. was not cast in the proper yeah. role. In fact, she never actually comes out from behind the, the counter. But she certainly uh, she sort of the she could she could have played this entire film without pants on. Yes, we never yes. know. Come <laughs> to think of it. <laughs> <laughs> she saw the Greek chorus of this film, though. She definitely sort of has a running commentary for everything. Mm, that's that, you true. Know, that's true. There. Well, he uh, he decides he decides. All right, I'll get out of here. Takes his cheese sandwich and walks mm. right back up the road, back up to the crossroad where he was originally let off by the farmer. While he's walking, night falls. And... Oh, let's let's go back. I'm saying just uh, that there's a little bit of dialogue after he leaves. The uh, the character uh, one another one of the locals who uh, who pops up time and again. Uh, Renee comes up, uh, asks her why. Oh, yes. He says, "Why didn't you send him to the sisters?" Yeah, and he's not talking about a nunnery. <laughs> no, no, no. They, but, they, but then they they both kind of you know. But well, she says she says well he seems like a nice guy, which basically you know it implies that, that she would not send anybody. I wouldn't send anybody. Send, there. I wouldn't send anybody to the sisters. <laughs> that tells you right there what he's. Well, into. it also tells you that he's going to run into the sisters, of course, which of course. of course, as night falls and he reaches the crossroads, mm-hmm. he does. Yeah, uh, a car stops. It's driven by a rather lovely lady. Mm-hmm. She waves him in, and he. 
he gets in the car, but as he's getting in the car, he sees that she has some kind of deformity. It looks as if her right arm is uh, has been burned, injured mm-hmm. in some way, yeah. and she wears a prosthetic device over her wrist and hand. He sees this and, of course, stares as anyone would for just right. a moment. Right. And she quickly covers it up with uh, a sweater. A jacket or something she pulls over. Yeah, she's obviously self-conscious about it. And Very self-conscious it about it. She offers him a ride, gets in, and... Uh, they're off. Well, while they're uh, bumping along the road there, there's kind of a, a skip in what would be the natural, obvious course of dialogue, and we get right to her her offering him, well, you mm-hmm. know, if you're looking for work, mm-hmm. yeah, we, we, could, we could use a caretaker at our house. Groundskeeper and all that. Yeah, yeah, groundskeeper, yeah. that kind of thing, mm-hmm. and explains that she and her sisters, one who's an invalid, live in this kind of ramshackle, slightly run-down uh, estate, and mm-hmm. they do need somebody to help them right. all, with the upkeep. So if he's willing, then the, mm-hmm. the job's his, and he immediately he immediately agrees. On this little this little jaunt down the back roads to the uh, after night has fallen, on the way to the house, a very strange thing happens. Uh, they hit mm-hmm. a bird, yeah, it's a just, pigeon. Mm-hmm. I guess it's a pigeon, yeah, like a pigeon, some sort of blue <laughs> blue pigeon, is it? <laughs> I, don't, I, I don't know what that one. I'm no. If it's not cooked, I don't care. <laughs> <It's> a, <laughs> But they, 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 it hits the windshield, and they mm. stop, not not at all sure what it is. The the woman's name is Claude. Mm. She picks it up, and it's obviously wounded and, and going mm. to die anyway, but she goes ahead and kills it. Yeah. Well, Gills is is looking at this and watching this happen and gets this horrible look on his face and mm. has this strange flashback yeah. to a white room with a blonde woman, and he's there. And for some reason, suddenly in this flashback, he's strangling this woman. Right. In in a very similar way to what he's watching her do with this bird, mm-hmm. killing it. Mm-hmm. That that's that happens very quickly, and he re, he he recovers. She doesn't seem to Claude doesn't seem yeah, to notice anything. Right. He's appalled and asks her why she did this, and she says, "Well, it just seemed." Yeah, he it, said it's better because it was suffering. Yeah. Yeah, it was suffering. They get back in the car and go on. Now, as they when they arrive at the estate, we get uh, one of the few instances where the Incredibly inappropriate score, which I didn't bring up. Yeah, we might, as well, might as well talk about that. <laughs> okay, this film would be greatly enhanced if some of the music were redone, mm-hmm. if it were just slightly rescored, so that roughly eighty percent of the music was different. <laughs> yeah, yeah, true. Yeah, true. It's, it's... Every now and then, the music fits. It's yeah. almost as if it fits by accident. Yeah, yeah this I is agree. when they when they pull up to the house is one of the moments where it seems to fit and it's mm-hmm. very cool, mm-hmm. but. Most of the time, it just does not seem to fit in any way, shape, or form. Mm. Well, as you say, the, the the recurring theme we hear over and over in the film just really sounds like it's a, from a romantic comedy or something from the 60s or some yeah. sort of, you know, it just, it's just, yeah. I keep waiting for Benny Hill to jaunt across it in speed, you know. You know, chasing a girl in her bra and panties or something. It's irritating, but they get to the house, they get to the estate, we meet sexy sister number two because let's be blunt mm-hmm. claude regardless of her deformity and prosthetic right hand is played by Dan, uh, diana loris yeah and there is nothing unattractive about that no. woman no. outside of possibly i don't know maybe she has a toenail fungus i don't know <laughs> if she does okay I'll, I'll give you all right well i know that uh, i know that uh, nash and howard said that you know they, they had they she sort of tried to make herself they tried to make her a little bit more Drab, you know, a little more of a the dowdy. It just it doesn't work real well. No, her. I mean she, they, they give her a very severe look by almost always having her hair, her hair pulled back. Yeah. Very, very a severe mm-hmm. look. So her hair is very pulled back from her from her face and giving her a kind of stark mm-hmm. look. Mm-hmm. 
and it works really well too in a seduction scene later on when he's able to kind of pull you know pull her mm. hair uh, out of that ponytail yeah. and let it drape on her shoulders which is really nice there's no hiding that woman's attractiveness but we meet sexy sister number two and this is nicole, nicole. and nicole is played by the ever brain bendingly sexy eva leone mm-hmm. <sighs> interesting information about her yeah, if you uh, well, there's lots of information I can give about her, but most of it I want to kind of keep myself. <laughs> you, you just sort of keep in the dark yes, out I, of yourself there. I have, right a, I have a very active <laughs> mental relationship with Miss Leon that I don't really want to burden anyone else with, if you know what I mean. But, uh, of course, she, she she pops up in another one of uh, one of my favorite uh, films from this period. Of course, she was the, the star of I Hate My Body, the mm. Leon Klamowski film, which I'm going to inflict upon you one day. Well, it's, you know... Like I you know, there's there's three people in this film that are in I Hate My Body. I've yeah. basically figured out that I Hate My Body must be the Spanish version of That's Entertainment or something like that because apparently every available Spanish <laughs> person working in the Spanish film industry that was available at that time is in this movie. So it's you in, could be right. <laughs> well, she was also in Inquisition, which of course we covered back. In yeah, I remember she seven. was. I remember it was a fairly smaller part in that. I know she was one of the uh, women. I think that they got that they they when they first started trying the local women for oh, yeah. witchcraft, she yeah. was so it was a little bit smaller. Uh, later on, that. she starred with uh, with Nashi and El Caminante as well yeah that's one we'll have to get to as well and uh she has no small list of credits as a matter of fact um the last credit from her uh she did several things in 2006 wow for uh for spanish television well and uh and now interesting just to relate it to the uh our last episode uh she was married to the actor that played our, our inspector marcel in Werewolf Shadow, yep. they were married and apparently had a daughter who is, a, they say, is an actress now. And I did not recognize her name. I don't know what she's been in. I didn't recognize her name either. I looked her up, and she is mm-hmm. she's quite active. Mm-hmm. Uh, also, Miss Leon was uh, in one of my. Um, she had a small role in one of my favorite uh, Jess Franco films from the eighties, Mansion of the Living Dead. Yeah, I've heard about that one. Uh, well worth seeing. Uh, yeah, and 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 luckily, luckily for us, uh, she also never quite learned how to button the top button of any shirt she ever wore. And or the top two or three buttons. Two or three buttons. Yeah. Now, something that I'll return to again and again as we go through this film is how. Uh, well, first of all, it's a beautifully shot film, and yeah. I'll get that out of the way now because there's going to be a lot of times I bring that to your attention. But yeah. Notice how throughout this film the color red is used. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, and I the, love that. our first, our very first splash of red is this bright red shirt mm-hmm. that Eva Leon as Nicole is wearing in this scene, mm-hmm. and she's almost constantly wearing red throughout the film mm-hmm. in one way or another. That's right. I think we all know why. <laughs> red connotates yeah. Uh, calmness and and sweetness and no wait and <laughs> something else isn't it red red means something I can't remember it's, it's all confusing and it's psychological and I don't want to think about this yeah yeah we'll we'll find out that Nicole is a piece of work all right <laughs> <laughs> she's a piece of a lot of things so and one of the things she tells as they as she sees. Claude bring uh, Gilles up to the or Gil I guess we got it seems like most of them call him Gilles in this film you know it's, yeah it's, it's yeah. The, the but uh. As she's bringing him to the house, uh, Nicole pretty much tells him flat out, you know, well, be prepared for my sister to fire you at some point, like she did the person who worked before. And just tells him flat out, you know, hey, welcome here. My sister's going to fire you at some point. (laughs) Well, and she's also automatically flirting with him. I mean, just right out the gate. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, well worth keeping your eyes on there. Takes takes him on into the house and uh, introduces him to the third sister, which would be Yvette. She is the wheelchair-bound invalid. Played by Maria Pershing. Mm-hmm. And it's as if we're taking slow, careful steps from beautiful mm-hmm. to brain bendingly beautiful to 
oh my God, mm. how did I end up in this house? Mm. And where mm. did the, <laughs> what, 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 how did I get here? How did I get here? How lucky can one man be? Uh, this absolutely, the absolutely lovely Maria Pershing. Oh goodness. Um, where, where Sorry, people. He's distracted by the pictures on ID. I, I, I'm distracted by movie database anything thing. she wants to do. She could sit. In, well, let's. Okay, first she of is, all, she is. She is. She is. She can. She can make sitting in a wheelchair sexy. There's no question she's about so it. She's so beautiful in this movie. It's just amazing. She also was in uh, Hunchback of the Morgue. Uh, she was in the third Blind Dead film. So everybody take a drink. So because Rod has mentioned a Rod blind has mentioned yes, yeah, the drinking game. When how long did it take Rod to? <laughs> did you place your bets on how long it take Rod to mention the Blind Dead? <laughs> she yeah, she's that. in Ship of Zombies. Well, go, or, or Ghost, Ghost Galleon, Galleon, or I think there was even another. Yeah. Name she also had, she she also had a role in Gordon Hessler's uh, Murders in the Rue Morgue from uh, 1971, which is an odd little thing to pull out. Mm-hmm. It's a movie I've been meaning to go back and rewatch. Actually, I've never seen it. I've she's in uh, she's in the People Who Own the Dark. Mm, good one. And um, Exorcismo did a lot of stuff. Woman played in uh, General Hospital on TV. Y five O. I did see that that she there. actually she was did in a General lot of Hospital. Television yeah. and stuff like that. Very interesting. She seems to have stopped working around the late 90s, mm-hmm. and sadly, if you weren't aware of this, she, she passed away in 2004. Mm, I did see that, and I, yeah, it sounded like um, she tried to have a, make a go at having a career in Hollywood and just ended up in some films that just were kind of duds, and yeah. you know, so it looks like she had more success in the European front there. But, uh, which, but yeah. is all, which is all well and good, mm-hmm. but uh, absolutely stunningly attractive woman and very good in this film. She has... She has a tough. She has a tough role to play in yeah. this, and she does a fine job. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so she introduces Claude introduces Yvette to the new handyman as well. Right, as as she's showing him the kitchen, Gills asks her, "Well, hey, you know, how did uh, how did Yvette end up in the mm-hmm. wheelchair?" Well, Jill, now you know the whole family. It's really a shame. She's very pretty. Listen, I advise you not to get any ideas about my sisters. And about you. What's wrong with it? Was it some illness? It was an accident. And your hand? Was that an accident? It's not too agreeable. I don't want to talk of it. Are you ashamed of it? Do you think a person would be satisfied with this? It's not only that it's repugnant. It's hideous. I don't think so. So now she's already putting the moves on the lady. Yeah, yeah. We should say something about that. Jill uh, uh, is an interesting character. He's 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 hard to read yeah. sometimes. He's got a lot of layers to him. It's like sometimes he's he's sometimes he seems uncommonly kind. A lot of times he seems very, you know, you're not sure what his motives are. Sometimes he seems rather predatory too. He seems to like to to fuck with Claude a little bit here about you know. <laughs> well, and, uh, I mean, but at the he, same he, time he says things that are kind of nice to her too. You know, yeah. at the same time he's he's sort of teasing her as well. So. Well, at any rate, we now have our uh, three psychotic women. Yeah, yeah. Okay, we we're we're in the house and we have the psychotic women all around us. Mm-hmm. Uh, so at this point, one title is making a lot of sense because you're looking around going, "Okay, I see, I see." We got uh, happy, flirty, mm-hmm. messed up arm, angry at me, mm-hmm. lady in the wheelchair that I'd really like to have sex with. <laughs> okay, house of psychotic women. I got it right. <laughs> He's shown to his room, and we see him stashing something, some wrapped up thing. Right. In uh, kind of kind of hiding kind. some kind of bundle, mm-hmm. and then uh, the next morning he's up early milking a cow. Oh, I love that cut there. <laughs> oh, I know. <laughs> milk, milk, milk. <laughs> and then uh, we see Nicole, who has obviously come out looking mm-hmm. around for him, and she's uh, mm-hmm. she's flirting with him shamelessly while he milks the cow. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, apparently there's no time of day that's not a good time to flirt or to wear unbuttoned shirts. Unbuttoned shirts, yeah. Know, and uh, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, in, in the house at that point, uh, the, the doctor, the local doctor, is visiting with Yvette. Apparently he comes to see her mm-hmm. probably every day or at least every other day. Mm-hmm. Dr. Labode or Philippe, I think they call him. Philip or, I guess Philip Philippe. Philippe. If, if, if we're going to be French, mm-hmm. it's Philippe. Philippe. <laughs> Philippe Labode, or just the doctor. Yeah. Right, right, right. He he's talking to his his wheelchair bound uh, patient and saying, "Hey, you know everything everything seems to be going well. I'm gonna uh, things you're doing so well. I'm gonna take you off the sedatives." And then takes his leave of Yvette and goes downstairs and speaks to Claude. And he goes downstairs with uh, with Claude and the two of them discuss Yvette's condition. Have you spoken to the nurse? Yes, I told her to come today. I've known her for many years. She's very competent, and she'll be an enormous help for Yvette. In the coming week, I'm going to start a new treatment for her. I think that psychotherapy might bring some good results. Doctor, I'm afraid it's all useless. I don't think she'll ever walk. Your sister's illness, my dear, in my opinion, is more psychosomatic than functional. I don't want to offer you any false hopes, but psychiatry opens up each day. New roads offers new solutions. Do you also practice hypnosis? (laughs) You have to stay current, child. (laughs) When you decide to do something about this... They have some new apparatuses that are almost perfect. It's not necessary. I'm doing all right with it. It's it's admirable the dedication you profess to your sisters. But it's not necessary to close all the doors to life. In some circumstances, it's not worthwhile living. So, uh, as you might can tell, Claude is not exactly a barrel of laughs. Um, (laughs) Bless her heart, she's a... No, no, no. She seems a bit... uh... Depressed, you, I yeah. guess, would be the best way to put it. But, not. but you can pretty much tell that she's the one who kind of runs the household and is probably, you know, is, 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 apparently her stress levels are fairly high, you know, between caring for Yvette, putting up with Nicole, and so... and One can, uh, one can only imagine, yeah. But uh, the doctor here, um, again, we've been lauding this incredible cast here. And, uh, oh, and, uh, God, yes. uh, here's Now it gives a chance to laud one of the cast that we're not in lust with, but... Incre- Still but, an but exceptional... Very much admire, yeah, Eduardo Calvo. I just think it's terrific. Yeah. And uh, I think that... I'm not even sure that we... Gave him the gave him the props he deserved in uh, past films. I'm not sure if we've even talked about his filmography and because we've we already done. Not. He was the professor in uh, Vengeance of the Mummy. Right. He was Sir Douglas Carter. And he was the great character in Inquisition, uh, Emil, who was sort of the, the yes, voice was. of reason that we liked so much. You know, the same. Um, I'll just throw out. He was, a few. he was fantastic in that. Yeah. So I'll just throw out a quick other titles here. Just uh, uh, Cutthroat's Nine. He was in. I know you like that one. Love Cutthroat's Nine. Yeah. Um, he was in. He's in Curse of the Devil, which we'll get around to at some point. Yes, another yes, another Voldemort Daninsky film. He was in Altogether Now. I hate my body. <laughs> of course, yeah. everybody, everybody, take a drink. <laughs> so it, it'd be, it, no, it'd be two separate drinking games. Yeah. One when I mentioned the Blind Dead, mm-hmm. and therefore you have to drink now. Or when either of us have to mention, uh, I hate my body. Yeah, so, yeah. We might as well throw Horror Express in there too. We want our audience to be good and drunk. So I was gonna draw. I was gonna bring that up yeah. later. He he, he he was in another Nashi film called Devil's Possessed. Right, right. Uh, which we are mm-hmm. going to have to get to one day as well. And we may have to one day also do uh, Cross the Devil, which is a film that uh, Nashi uh, wrote, but then got kind of booted off of by the mm-hmm. director, and Nashi's rather bitter about, but uh, mm-hmm. Eduardo is still mm-hmm. still in the film. Oh, cool, yeah, yeah. cool. He's uh, the director of the, pri- director of the prison in it, I believe. Mm-hmm. But uh, as we uh, saw there, um, 
suggesting to Claude that she could actually find a, you know, she could find a better prosthetic than the one that she's wearing. And she obviously is, uh, she doesn't seem interested. She's no. just, she doesn't want to talk about it. She really doesn't want to, she doesn't want to draw any attention whatsoever, yeah. even with a doctor to this arm. Mm -hmm. But, but one of the things we pick up from Claude is not only is she hopeless about her own prospects, but she's even the one who says, I don't believe my sister can walk. And he says, well, no, I, you know, I think it's in her mind. You know, right. Claude is a sort of the defeatist. She's sort of the, the got a pretty, it's uh, a good way to put it. A gloomy, gloom vision and everything. So, well, uh, back outside on his first day, Nashy yeah. is really working himself up into a sweat. More he's, metaphors, uh, wood, chopping wood. Here. He's chopping wood. He's shirtless. He's yeah. taking his shirt off, mm -hmm. and he's chopping wood. As Nicole just sits on a stone wall and watches him, <laughs> which, uh, man, once again, the bright red shirt. Um, the doc comes out of the house to leave and is still talking to Claude, mm -hmm. and up walks this uh, lady who presents her papers, and she's the new nurse who's come to help be there every day to help with Yvette and to take, you know, take care of her medicines and to be there as kind of a nurse and nursemaid mm -hmm. to, to a large degree. Uh, this is not the nurse that the doctor right. thought was coming. He had, right. he had told them that I, I know this lady who's coming. She's very good. I've known her for years. And is a bit surprised when this woman shows up, but the doc is there. He looks mm -hmm. over her papers and goes, okay, well, You'll, we'll need to talk later on about about the medicines and the and the treatment and what's going on, but everything seems to be in order. Now this lady, this young woman, yeah, and and surprise, surprise, she's stunningly beautiful. She's yeah, I know. It's how does that happen? <laughs> if, I, if, if I'm Paul Nash's character, I'm Gil, Jill's at this moment. I'm just sitting there thinking, you've got to be kidding me. It's like well, I know, it's like there's, I don't have to, there's not enough condoms in the world, you know, to get through this. <laughs> <laughs> oh, <God. laughs> You dirty-minded person, you. I know. But, uh, I'm so I'm ashamed. At any rate, her name is, uh, the character's name is Michelle, mm -hmm. and the actress's name is Inez Morales. Mm -hmm. She is, she's, she was also, she's also been a couple of, uh, a couple of films. Uh, she was in Curse of the Devil, which we still haven't covered yet, but was made the same year as mm -hmm. right. House of Psychotic Women, and was in a number of films after that. Nothing of any, nothing, nothing that really stands out. Uh, watch out, we're mad. Sounds like something. <laughs> it's a great title. Yeah, it's a hell of a title. <laughs> yeah. She continued to work for for years and years and years in uh, film. As a matter of fact, she's she's been just this year in a Spanish TV miniseries. Wow. Yeah. Very so cool. she's she's still, still working active, away. Huh? Yeah. Wow. Cool. But an absolutely beautiful woman and a, a blonde, blonde, very beautiful. We should point out that uh, there's a, a very interesting array of hair colors mm -hmm. amongst our yeah. now four women. Are there four psychotic women in the house now? <laughs> but we have a blonde, we have a redhead, we have uh, what? I, uh, very dark brown, I guess. Very dark would be, brown. Would be Dana Loris, yeah. Very, yeah. And we have what would basically be a brunette. Mm -hmm. So uh, it's like a smorgasbord. It's a buffet. <laughs> what do you want? A little bit of this, a little bit of that. Uh, it's all good. Anyway, they say put a lot of arrangement of color on the plate. You know, when you're doing that <laughs> to attract attention. That's right. So. Well, at, at this point, really, you just kind of you, you kind of got to start the clock as a Nashy fan. Well, you know, which one's how long, be first? How, yeah, <laughs> how long before he's in bed with one of these women? And well, I have to tell you, I, I have to say, you know, you mentioned, you know, yeah, my my dirty turn of mind. I'm afraid he came up with this great line here. The doctor says when he's meeting this new nurse, who's obviously not the one he was expecting, and he's right. he's going to have to show her how to take care of a vet. So he says. In the subtitled version, in the subtitles, he says, "Come to my office later, and I'll, I'll give you the instructions for the treatment." But now, in the English dub, he just says, "Come to my office later, and I'll give you give the, you treatment. the <laughs> treatment." And I thought, "Here's cue the porno music." Here's here it comes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's. I agree. That's a not not always does the dub. Although in general, the dub for this is extremely well done. It is this actually is a very really well done. Fine English mm. dub. I agree. There's not too many instances where there's a real difference in what's being no, said. Once not yeah, at all. It's pretty accurate. 
pretty uh, pretty nicely done all the way across the board as far as the dub is concerned. Well, we 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 go ahead and we advance to that night, and mm-hmm. we see Gil in his uh, in his room asleep, having nightmares, mm-hmm. and uh, we see that these are more flashes, somewhat similar to his uh, his previous right vision. visions of strangling of some blonde woman of some blonde woman, yeah. And uh, it's it's such a shake it's such a it's such a, a bad nightmare. It actually wakes him up, and he, yeah. he gets up. And now I have to say this, this cracks me up. Is not only is the soundtrack is this song we've been talking about so annoyingly weird. They yeah. actually take it and use it for his flashbacks, and yet give it sort of a weird echo that make it sort of a haunting, bizarre romantic comedy theme. I don't, I know, I don't understand I know. the. It's, it <laughs> makes so little sense, and it's so poorly used. I don't. Know. I mean, if they just use that music in the flashbacks, and it's somehow related, it was somehow important to you know, it was some sort of trigger or somehow important to what happened, then I would understand. But, but the it's fact not. that they just. Hey, we got such a great piece of music. Let's use it for these <laughs> these flashbacks as well. Well, <laughs> strangely enough. When he wakes up and he, mm. he, he gets a drink of water and he's just kind of sitting there and he's obviously shaking, who should open his bedroom door and saunter on in but the uh, very nicely underclad Nicole mm. Mm. who comes in and says, oh, I'm, I have insomnia. Clad in blue, though. Clad in blue, not red. And now, great use of color again, but she's not. But yeah, but then, of course, they immediately, you know, you know it's going to happen. So they yeah. immediately hop into bed with each other and start having sex. But her yeah. panties are purple. Oh, were they? Okay. Yeah, I didn't notice that. Okay. they were purple. At least on my television. <laughs> oh, they were purple. I paused. It. I was about to say the freeze frame probably frame helped to frame. bring out, you know. <laughs> but so of course Nicole and Nashy end up in bed together, mm. and uh, it's a odd sex scene though. Did you didn't you think it, it yeah. starts? It starts as 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 many hundreds of Paul Nashy sex scenes we've seen already, you know, today. <laughs> I happen like it's going to be just a very typically filmed, you know, uh, sex scene. But then it takes this weird kind of turn where it starts doing these close-ups of their faces and the camera starts kind of you yeah. know, twirling around it's, and their it's, expressions aren't very... It doesn't, it's not a very, it doesn't suggest it doesn't pleasure, erotic, really. It yeah. doesn't seem erotic. It seems more... It has this more sense of kind of desperate... You know, desperation. And, and then when, more, they're, yeah. when they're finished, you know, they just sort of roll off each other and, you know... It's it's not a it's, not yeah, a feeling it's, it's, of intimacy or like a real tenderness there. Yeah, it's it's, it's, a, it's one of those strange things where it's kind of like well, it was what it was, and we mm-hmm. both got what we wanted, but mm-hmm. neither of us right. had to really like it, I guess, mm-hmm. in yeah. a way of thinking. But it, one thing is pretty clear. I mean, if we had any doubts, Nicole is obviously a nymphomaniac, so mm-hmm. that's a a good and a bad thing, really. <laughs> the next the the next day, we see the the nurse mixing up the medicines. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I want to go into a, a Bob Dylan song there. Uh, no, no, no. Uh, <laughs> the nur- yeah. uh, nur- nurse um, mixing up Yvette's medicine, and she's acting a little suspicious. Mm-hmm. And Yvette's kind of watching her, and she seems a bit paranoid and doesn't really trust her. Now, Claude is watching the nurse as well, and uh, even listens in when the nurse goes downstairs to make a phone call. I don't know, kind of minor paranoia going on here. Right. And, uh, oh, this isn't the next morning. My apologies. I'll, right. This I'll is still, to, this yeah. is still that night. Uh, it's ob- obviously putting a vet to bed and then lying there in bed. We cut back to Nicole and Gills lying there in bed talking. Uh, very interesting here. Yeah. Nice dialogue here. Isn't it? Yeah. Nicole complains about her sisters, refers to them as bitches. Mm-hmm. One of the, one of the, my favorite little lines that she has is she just starts to unload about, about her sisters, and she talks about Claude, and she says, a wretched failure looking for love in order to feel important. Mm-hmm. I was like, my yeah, she's, God, that's a harsh line. Yeah, yeah. But, and, 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 and he kind of defends, they, he's, he's, he pretty much kind of puts her in her place, you know. Well, yeah, but at the same time, this whole, this whole thing plays out like the two of them discussing existentialist 
angst. It's yeah. it's uh, <laughs> it's nihilistic to the point of depression. Um, at, well, the, at the at the end of the conversation, the way the whole thing ends, he's sitting there and he says, "But we're nothing, absolutely nothing." And this apparently just turns her the hell on because she jumps on him, and and she jumps, jumps on him again, again and, and says, "Oh yes, again. tell me more. How I'm nothing. Tell me." Tell me. I know, but I mean, the, but no, you're right. It's interesting that he both just says, "You and I are are basically both alike. We're failures and and, and nothing." And you we're know, failures, and, and we, we you know the whole wretched failure of looking mm-hmm. for love in order to feel important is like, wow, that describes so many people I know. <laughs> But no, 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 that it's just it, that whole that whole scene plays out like a, a discussion of philosophy in a very strange mm. place. But I yeah. mean, as someone who uh, has the occasional conversation of that type, mm. I get it. I understand. I mean, those 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 calm moments. What's the old joke about? Mm. Uh, what's the old joke about the only man? The only time a man can really think clearly is like at the five minutes right after sex. <laughs> Well, next time you tell a woman that she's a failure and nothing, let me know if she uh, jumps your bones or that oh, she uh, uh, just tears into you. You know, with well, I know. Right? Passion. We're worth nothing. <laughs> immediate, immediate sex is oh, not yes. not exactly what I would expect. <laughs> but this is where we notice. This is where we see that Claude is seeing is, is seeing them through the window. She knows that they. Yeah, she knows that they've spent the night together. Yeah. And and also, as you said, we've seen that the Michelle, the new nurse, has has she, what she said in the phone. She was saying telling somebody to be patient. So you know, we're suddenly wondering yeah. like what's she up to so. and what's she up to. So now we have reason to kind of be wondering what's up with the nurse right but we're also uh we now we we get a brief scene where we see the unprosthetic hand we get to actually yeah. see what claude's hand looks like and she's missing uh three of her four fingers mm-hmm. and uh, so whatever happened was pretty harsh but then what's amazing is that right after we're shown that we cut to the next morning with her in the kitchen violently chopping up a chicken she's got the meat cleaver you know immediately T- turns on Nashy. I told yeah, well, you. Well, he comes in. He comes in uh, bringing the wood. Of course, another metaphor. He comes in. You know. Oh yeah, hauling in the wood. Hauling the wood. Hauling in the wood. <laughs> and she's hacking away. And uh, yeah, yeah, they have an interesting conversation here. Once again, him kind of being, you know, teasing her a little bit, Flirt- oh, no. flirting at the same time he's as he's kind of mocking her, but flirting at the same time. Yeah, because she says, "I, t- I told you to stay away from my sisters," and he he basically just looks at her and goes, "Why jealous?" Mm-hmm. Trying to trying to play it up, trying to trying to see if he can goad her into doing something. Uh, once again, this is an, another day, so another visit from the doctor. Yeah. Now, I love, I was just going to say in that scene where they're talking there, just a wonderful cut there. And, I mean, it's very obvious what they're trying to do, but just where she holds the cleaver up between the two of them and just looks, stares at him over the, over the blade, cleaver yeah. and says, I'm not like my sisters, you know. And it's a great moment. It's a great scene, and it's a great moment for her. It's well done and, and well played. Uh, but another no, another visit from the doctor. Now, he, he calms Yvette's fears because Yvette's freaking out a little bit. She's just really paranoid about her, her new nurse. Right. The doc goes down and confers with the nurse and says, right. look, says, don't let her suspect we're still giving her a sedative. She right. hates medicine and we've got yeah. to fool her into this. Yeah. Well, after the doc leaves, we have old Gil out there working in the yard again, raking and mm-hmm. hoeing and whatever in the hell mm-hmm. else he's doing. Mm-hmm. Just out of nowhere, this guy climbs over the wall mm-hmm. and uh, attacks him. Mm-hmm. Just out of nowhere, just yeah, jumps up and starts whacking the hell out mm-hmm. of him. They start fighting. I know, I expected him to say, I know you brought the curse of lycanthropy to our village. Oh, wait, wrong movie, <laughs> wrong sorry. Film. Wrong film. Just leave now. Not, that's not this film, yeah. man. That's, that's yeah. something else. But they're in this big throwdown fight and uh, no stunt double. No, no, no. They go at it. Yeah, pretty, yeah. Pretty, pretty, pretty good. Pretty good. They go at it, and at first it's just fists, but Nashy, uh, Nashy's not a pushover. Mm. And so this guy who's attacking him pulls out a knife, mm-hmm. and they start going at it. And during the course of the fights... Bad Yvette system. sees what's going on mm. from the window, and now she's distracted by spotting her just really quickly, and he gets cut. And then the stru- as the struggle continues, he's able to he's able to actually turn the knife around 
and stab the guy just a little bit in the gut and then stumble away and then whoever this fella is attacking him runs off as well. Mm-hmm. Well, the the women come out, bring him into the house, and luckily, of course, we've got there in the house. Got we've the got nurse. Michelle. We've got the nurse. Pretty nasty little cut there <sighs> on his torso. Say, I think it may look worse than the real thing would have looked. You know, yeah, it's a no, pretty nasty really. looking uh, bit of makeup there. Very good effect there. It's a pretty pretty gruesome. But the the nurse uh, sews him up. And uh, there's that great shot yeah. uh, of the of the women are all who oh, are all gathered around to take, the, uh, yeah, to take care of the yeah to take care of to take care of Gil there and he just he's just looking around and he, there's this little great camera pan as he's looking from woman to woman and down it's their just shirts like, and you know, oh, I know panning yeah. across these bevy of beauties that are waiting on him and he's got this look on his face like he's just I'm a lucky lucky man you know, I know I, I know say. that's the thought that came on his life is not so bad I got cut by some crazy bastard who just yeah. popped up out of nowhere but. Man, look yeah, at this. Other than that, this is a yeah, this is, this is a good day. So, this yeah, is a pretty he's, sweet. It's a pretty sweet spot to be in. <laughs> well, uh, of course, Claude calls the cops, and and and, and the cop comes. Inspector know, the, Pierre comes. Inspector Pierre shows up to to find out just you know what the heck is going on here. While getting the information about uh, just what this was, the ladies identify the attacker as being Jean, mm-hmm. who was the person who was the last caretaker, the fellow that uh, Claude fired. Because he had apparently taken up with Nicole. Surprise, then, you know, who would have Surprise! There was a man happens. around? Yeah. <laughs> there was a man around and Nicole was having sex with him? How does this happen? But the cop, while taking all this information in, says, remarks that this is very, you know, very strange things going on. There's this attack on on your caretaker and um, a woman was killed out on the road. She was strangled. And interestingly enough, this woman that was strangled turns out to have been the nurse who was supposed to come out and be Yvette's nurse. Yeah. Or as I like to go, Hmm, how mm-hmm. interesting. Yeah. Then the film gives me another super sexy shot of Eva Leone as she's, I think she's painting her toenails. Yeah, she's painting actually her getting herself or... dialed up to apparently going either on a night on the town or going to visit Nashi in his bed. We really don't know with her. It could be either one. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that she was just going to march down march the hall, down the hall the, when for, it's that close. for the easy yeah. sex. Yeah. But her door's locked. Her bedroom mm-hmm. door's locked. Mm-hmm. She's been locked in by older sister Claude. Yeah, who's older had, sister Claude's uh, not, she's not, she's not, not that easy. A, she's, she's, you know, I, I, got, I thought it was a points for Claude for sort of setting this up there that... <laughs> Oh, and, and this really pisses Nicole off. Yeah. She's not happy about being locked in the bed. And, uh, you, know, you, get, you keep, you keep the, the nymphomaniac away from her bed partner, and she's not going to be thrilled. So. Right. Interestingly enough, who goes to visit Gil instead yeah. in his bed, laid up there with his cut? But Claude, she goes to visit him to check on him to explain, okay, the guy who attacked you was Jean. He was mm-hmm. our he was the last caretaker here, obviously not a very happy guy. And uh You can kinda hear the worry in her voice when she says, I guess after you heal up you're probably gonna wanna leave, aren't you? You know, and, yeah. And, yeah. and uh he didn't appear to want to leave. As a matter yeah. of fact, he whips out the old Nashy charm. That's right. Mm-hmm. And soon enough it's seduction time and bang mm-hmm. sister number two <laughs> falls to the man. <laughs> Another amazingly filmed sequence too. Yeah. I mean, it's great the way it starts because he 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 as, as we mentioned earlier, you know, at, to this point she's had her hair pulled back all the time, and so he he takes her hair down so he can see with her hair down, and she's asking why why he did that. He says because he he likes her, and she says I could never please anyone, and and he takes he, her hand, he takes her prosthetic, and kisses it, which is which is an amazing yeah. moment, and then amazing amazing bit of fetishism right there. Oh yeah, yeah, very much so. And then when they start embracing, uh, the way her hand comes, up, it's just such an amazing visual with uh, yeah. her hand, her false hand comes up over to embrace him, and it's it's just a uh, yeah. It's, uh, well, the, the, I'll take this point in time to just start heaping 
huge amounts of praise on director Carlos Allred. Yeah, yeah, great. Who job. shoots? He shoots this entire film absolutely beautifully. There are mm-hmm. so I lost count mm-hmm. of the absolutely beautifully framed shots, just well chosen mm-hmm. camera placement throughout this. And sequences like this, sedu- mm-hmm. this seduction scene, mm-hmm. that are absolutely gorgeous. The very last shot of it, of the two of them there in bed, that has this kind of, uh, not not red, it's not mm-hmm. any kind of bright red, mm-hmm. but it's a, a kind of rosy tint to the image. Right. The two, the two of them uh, kind of holding on to each other there in the mm-hmm. bed is absolutely gorgeous. It's just very well played. It's very, very nicely done. Mm-hmm. Good stuff, but a very strange thing here. Yes, let's mention this. Uh, before she completely gives into the seduction, she notices a big pair of muddy boots or galoshes mm-hmm. over in the corner of uh, Gil's room there, mm-hmm. and that kind of gives her a second's hesitation. But for the life of me, I can't figure out why. Yeah, I was gonna say file file that away, the muddy boots away, folks, because it would mean absolutely nothing by the, by yeah, the time yeah, we get through yeah. with these. But I. I, I, I'll, I'll, I'll bring it up later because I want to ask you something about it. But at this point, what is neat about this is when she sees this and she hesitates for a second, but then she just turns off the light because she's just like, you know what? I'm not going to screw this up by asking, hey, why, <laughs> where, why have you been walking out in the mud? I'm actually getting, True. I'm actually having sex here, and I'm uh, not going to spoil it. So I'm just going to turn off the light, and then we don't and we forget it. about the muddy. This is mysterious, suspicious. Big time clue, muddy boots laying over there in the corner. But uh, now, once again, we go to the next day mm-hmm. with yet another daily visit from the doctor. Mm-hmm. And uh, the doctor, and the, he's obviously leaving the place after his examination of Yvette, and he and the nurse have a little conference. Doctor, the police have questioned me about Margot's murder. Yes, they've questioned me also. Such a shame. Margot was a magnificent nurse and a great person. Yes. I'd known her for years. Who could have done something so useless? I hope they catch him soon. I'm worried about what's going on in this house. What do you mean? I don't know. Yvette and the others. It's not right. I feel uncomfortable. Michelle, in most cases, our work is very hard. These three women are all so frustrated. In more or less degree, they all show signs of an acute neurosis. You know, Yvette was the daughter of their mother's first husband. She was raised in Austria. But the only one who shows any sign of affection is... There's not much I know about their parents. It seems that their mother went insane. Their father suffered from an incurable disease and committed suicide. I think there's some connection between Claude's hand and Yvette's paralysis. Don't you agree? Yes, I do agree. Although I don't know for certain, and they won't talk about the accident. On the other hand, Yvette, because of the accident, was abandoned by her young man, who went off and married her best friend. Well, I'll do everything I can to help. Thank you, Michelle. Mm-hmm. Uh, very interesting. Something I'd like to point out is that, uh, as we just heard, in the English version of that scene, he says that their father had an incurable disease, and that's why he committed suicide. But in the Spanish-language version, mm. uh, the doc says that he suffered from intense melancholia mm. and ended up committing suicide. In other words, he was a depressive, which would Explain give you a lot. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Yeah. I mean, not that she doesn't have reason to feel right. down about her life, but mm. if that's a tendency, those kind of those kind of chemical things do yeah. have a tendency to be passed down good. Good to, point, to, yeah. to the children. Mm. Also, something that's really, really neat about this scene is that uh, almost all the dialogue you heard 
that was one single take, one yeah. shot. I like that where it follows them all the way down the stairs. Follows them yeah. down the stairs and then tracks slowly mm-hmm. back, and they stop and they finish. They finish the dialogue, and then the doctor continues on to get into the car, and you realize the camera pulls back, and we, the the whole shot has been mm-hmm. through the window, the the uh, the passenger yeah. and driver's window of his car, and yeah. we see him as he comes and gets in his it car and great, drives away. Yeah, fascinating. Once again, just another one of those amazingly mm-hmm. neat stylistic mm-hmm. touches. Why do that scene as as a single take? Right. No need to do it, but it's just really well played, and it just adds mm-hmm. a little bit of unexpected flair to something that, mm-hmm. in all honesty, is just a dialogue scene between two characters giving us some information to get us on yeah. to the next bit of right. stuff. But because it's, it's, it's director looking and saying, okay, this is exposition. How can I not make this clunky, clunky? You know? Right. And one of the great things about the script is uh, how little... Uh, there is, as far as uh, clunky exposition kind of scenes like that, that we, right. we've seen before in some Nashy scripts. And this one, it's, it's a really good dialogue and, and really so much is told visually much more than through dialogue in this film than what we've seen before. So, Well, now we're going to complicate things because mm-hmm. the very next scene is, yeah. as, as the doctor leaves, mm-hmm. uh, Gil comes up and asks uh, Nurse Michelle mm-hmm. if she could help him with something out in the barn. It takes her, takes her into the barn. Right. Starts getting really creepy really quick. He yeah. says, you don't have to go anywhere to find a man. Well, first he tells her, he says, I know what you're up to. Yeah, I know what you're up to. You. Yeah. Um, yeah, I said, you don't Yeah, you don't have to look to find a man. You've got one right here. <laughs> I know. And she's obviously not at all falling for no, the no. man's charm in any way, she, shape, or form. She must be made of brass or steel or something. I don't know. How <laughs> could she not... She's she's obviously got other things in her mind and is yeah. just not just not attracted to the, to mm. the mighty Nashi. As he's making his obvious move, I mean, it looks like he is on the verge of full bore sexually assaulting I this know, woman. I know. He starts to have another one of his flashbacks, and in this, the background of this whole flashback now is is quite red, bright red, right. and he is once again in this flashback strangling this blonde woman. And this shakes him really badly, which is a good thing because it saves him from getting. <laughs> yeah, because Michelle had just looked over and found that there was a hay hook stuck mm. in the this this bale of hay right to her side there, and was about to pluck it out and just use it on his sorry ass. <laughs> yeah, so he's lucky that he, he doesn't. Didn't. He, he didn't even notice it. He, right, he, but... he like completely walks away from her and just goes over there and is trying to get his trying to get his act together. Mm-hmm. And then she runs. She just off. takes and runs. Yeah. This is a complicating matter for. I kept for, expecting her to turn back around and say, "I, I love you" or something, but <laughs> <laughs> but no. In this case, and you now she's just like, "You're you're a creep." You know, and I'm yeah. This out is here. a this is a complicating matter because is, what definitely. we have now is we have Gills who we, we've not seen this character played by Nashi do anything really untoward. Right. He's obviously has a past and he's haunted by things and he obviously has some. But he's yeah, he's not been but, just totally. Yeah, but this was way over the line. This right. was. I mean, he was. Obviously intent upon mm. having sex with this woman, and wasn't going to take. An, it was being very aggressive. This was mm. not a seduction. This was not a no. mutual thing whatsoever. No. Well, next we have uh, Nicole visiting the doctor's office. Nicole is on the town. Mothers lock up your sons. <laughs> <laughs> we don't know why she decided to no. go there. Neither does the doctor. She says something about how she had come into town apparently with Claude. Yeah, for uh, some so reason. Claude, I guess, has, 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 has turned her back on her or something, and she made a getaway. And <laughs> she made a getaway to go to the doc's office. <laughs> I have a feeling that happens a lot. <laughs> well, she starts talking to the doc and says, oh, yeah, I, I, that's I, I, I don't feel right. There's something that it just pulls her shirt right off. Mm-hmm. And this is not a woman that wears a bra. Right. 
and just starts messing with the doc and is obviously mm. flirting with him and he brushes this aside and it seems clear to me obviously this has happened before and he's had to kind of put her in her place mm. and go you know because mm. this guy is supposed to be he really should be considered kind of a father figure exactly and he's trying to kind of talk to her that way like you know i'm much too old for this stop you know you didn't yeah. have to take off your shirt <laughs> well she doesn't take that very well no. but it's obvious that she's kind of been brushed aside by him before mm. and uh, after she puts her shirt back on she decides to, to to kind of try to get get under his skin by commenting on the the photo on his desk. Something about she says something along the lines Mouse of, am I, "Am I am I too old for you?" or something of that nature. You're only interested in in this and gestures to this photograph of a of a of a young girl on his desk. Yeah, I forget the term she used. It was almost like kind of like this mouse, something like the mousey, mousey or, something. or something. She used like some that. sort of derogatory term for the the girl in the picture. And the doc, you know, the doc does make reference to that. You know. To that being his unfortunately dead daughter, you know that happened long ago, and I don't want to talk about it. Yeah. Now, at this point, anyone with with any kind of shame at all who <laughs> was not a psychopathic nymphomaniac would have would have probably you know realized they had stuck their foot in their mouth, but not but not, not Nicole. Nicole no. No, I don't think she was deterred at all. But it's interesting the way that scene ends is she just kind of comes over there and just sort of leans against the desk and looks down at the doctor, and then it just yeah, cracks, it ends you know? it ends awkwardly. It's, yeah. it's not it's it's a very awkward ending there. It's a very strange thing about the about that, mm. and it's one of the few moments in the film where things don't seem to transition well from one scene to the next. Mm-hmm. But but the main thing we learn out of that is that the doctor has lost a daughter. There's young. Now in town, it's it's that night. We of course are progressing to the next night, mm-hmm. and uh, in town we see a girl who's walking home after uh, after dark. She leaves leaves her boyfriend behind and is walking home. She appears to be a, an older teenage girl, so mm-hmm. very pretty and obviously blonde. Yes, and walking through a cemetery. But she has to walk home straight through a cemetery, and she remarks to her boyfriend, "I'll just I'll just whistle." Mm-hmm. You know, I'll, I'll, you know, whistle, th- whistle through the cemetery to, on my way home, and she starts to whistle that old child childhood. Mm-hmm. I guess it's considered a lullaby, maybe. Yeah, lullaby, <clears throat> lullaby, Frere Jaca, mm-hmm. and she starts whistling it. And for the first time in the film, people, mm-hmm. I can fully say to you, the score works yes. because as she starts to whistle, a very creepy version of Frere Jaca begins to play along underneath her whistling. And we see that stalking her through the cemetery is a black gloved person. This and we know stalking sequence is very well shot. It is. And with the black gloves, we know we are in a giallo. <laughs> yeah, we're definitely in a giallo. We have some murders. <laughs> there's, there's some strangling going on. And we now have a black go- black glove killer stalking a woman. So mm-hmm. I think it was Dario Argento's hands, actually. You know, that, that, <laughs> he they brought him hands. in. He they brought him, him in. He played, played the hands, hands right. in this film. Oh, my, my, my. Well, he stalks her and attacks and kills her. Mm-hmm. Now, we're not shown a very interesting thing. We're told about it in dialogue afterwards, though. Yeah. The next day, the doc is uh, giving the, co- the 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 cop Pierre mm-hmm. the autopsy, autopsy report on the right. poor girl, and this is when we learned that her eyes were gouged out. Right. Uh, so he killed her and then took her eyes. He didn't just cut them out and throw them down, but they're gone. While they're having this conversation, the creepy cafe guy, Rene, is uh, eavesdropping on their conversation. He's kind of peering at them on the other side of the magazine right. sign, and to the point that at one point Pierre has to tell him to, "Hey, stop eavesdropping, yeah, get away." Yeah. As as we're listening to these two talk, it's it's happening there in the cafe, mm-hmm. and uh, the, the the cop is openly wondering, you know, do these attacks are, are they? Are, is this death and the strangulation and the attack on Gills is are are these related? Mm-hmm. 
and for no good reason whatsoever, three absolutely gorgeous teenage backpackers come into the cafe to get a Coke and sit down. And uh, Renee, of course, can't keep his eyes off of her, but then neither can we. Oh, my (laughs) Lord. There's no reason for these three girls to be in this film other than to just up the hot chick quotient in the film. Well, and I think it's also to up the creep quotient for Renee as another suspect. I mean, you know, uh, once again with Jalo, yeah. you can never have too many suspects, you know. And so, you know, so far we have 10 by the time this film's over. And I think that and that's... You know, yeah, and at some point there, you, there, there's a realization by any by any savvy any savvy That it's too watcher. obvious that it's like, okay, yeah. we're out too obviously making Renee a creep, you know. So, yeah, uh, yeah, but, yeah. Uh, but it has a little bit of comic ending to the scene after he stares at the girls for, you know, essentially the waitress, you know, uh, basically Ms. sprays him with Yeah, Miss Bardem uh, gives him a, uh, sprays him with the, a squirt bottle or something there. And all well, yeah, she, 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 spray, to, she sprays uh, seltzer water down seltzer into water, his drink yeah, and scares the hell snap out him out of his reverie there, yeah. But uh, <laughs> Gills comes running into the cafe to find the, uh, the doctor mm-hmm. Uh, because uh, apparently Yvette has gotten worse, and he's right. he's come zipping into town to try to find the doc. Something's up. So the doc goes back out to the house with him, and uh, and the waitress, I think, at some point during this scene, makes a comment too about, well, we know who the we know who's responsible for all this going on. So it already kind of hand- tells yeah. that the people in the village are, you know, it's it's uh, because it's, he's around yeah, here. The ba- you know, yeah, the the hitchhikers arrived, and then people start dying. So yeah, she's she's already like kind of stirring stirring things up against uh against it's, that, Jill, it's so. that small town small mind mentality or stuff mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but the the doc gets there and sure enough if if yvette is um is not happy right she's, like she's freaking a out a little bit some kind, yeah. and the, the doc shoes the others out of the room and uh, gives her an injection that's all we see of that scene mm-hmm. that night yvette is out uh i think she's in needle heaven uh, she's definitely <laughs> yeah. out nicole has decided that she is not going to get locked into her bedroom tonight. And for no good reason, we get to see a group of farmers slaughter a pig. <laughs> yeah. I have no idea why this is in this film. But it's, you know... It's Shock that, value, probably. I mean, I the guess, fact, I mean, I mean it's... it's, it's, it's I, I don't know. I can't remember if this was in the videotape, because this was one of the very first two Nashi films and in I fact, ever saw. And in fact, Orrid and, and Nashi even say on the audio commentary, they say, I bet this part I bet this part cut was out. cut out by the Americans. And yeah. uh, I think, I will say this, you know... I mean, so many of these films around the early 70s when we saw a lot of that kind of became, for shock value, a lot of animal slaughter was thrown into films. And I think that in in this case, I guess it sort of ties into what happens immediately after because as the farmers are slaughtering the pig and it bleeds into a a pan and farm woman tells this blonde-haired, blue-eyed girl to, you know, take the blood something before it coagulates okay well, yeah obviously in the kitchen they're going to use the, the blood kitchen, or something yeah so she's and then the girl then walks away with the pan of blood and then she's attacked she's attacked and her throat is slit you know she's bled basically yeah, so her, th- her throat gets slit. like the pig. I guess they're trying to make a, a visual con- that she's basically slaughtered oh, yeah. as callously as this pig was slaughtered. So I guess it's, it's still pretty. I mean, it's still pretty it, unnecessary. It doesn't need to be there. It's not very pleasant to watch. I don't, and it's I, not. I it's not pleasant it. to watch. I've seen the thing is I've seen pigs slaughtered before. Sure, right. uh, not it's not something that happens every every third day or something mm-hmm. like that. But mm-hmm. so to me, it's not that horrible. But I know it would be a massive turnoff to people who. Who, yeah. who don't want to see that kind of thing. Right, right. Nevertheless, that girl, the, the, we have another girl who's killed, and this time we do see the killer taking away her eyes. Mm-hmm. Uh, we don't see him carving them out, but he's, he's, we, we see, see him the carrying hands them carrying away. the eyes away. And when we hear, okay. uh, we hear Frere Jacques again, Frere Jacques oh, yeah. again and, over yeah, the scene. Yeah, and once again, Frere Jacques is playing over the scene. Yes, exactly. Well, the next morning, Yvette seems better. She's in her wheelchair, and Michelle gets a phone call 
from a man. And Nicole comes in to tell her she's got yeah. a phone call, and that's exactly how she puts it. Now, Nicole starts to seem a little bit suspicious and, hell, maybe even jealous she of She probably her. is. She's I mean, probably like, I can't seduce them over the phone. <laughs> yeah, I know. If they're not here, how can they see my tits? <laughs> <laughs> the cop comes to the house to get the doc because they've discovered this new young blonde girl's body and they need mm-hmm. an autopsy. Mm-hmm. So, of course, everyone in the house... Learns of this new murder all at the same time. Right, we get the classic mystery film. Yeah, the, the, show, the, all the, the all Agatha the, Christie moment. Yeah, where let's remind you of all yeah. the. Does he almost make the film to freeze and says, you know, have you You're, guessed who the have killer you is? Have you guessed who the murderer? <laughs> My answer would have been, hell no, I'm completely lost. Well, the thing. yeah, well, the cop and the doc are talking, and and you know, there's some suspicion on on Jill, and then again, the doc goes, yeah, it's strange though about this. This other nurse that showed up. and But the cop's like, well, Jean seems to be the major suspect. We need to find that sorry scumbag. I mean, mm-hmm. he's the guy we, He's the guy who we know attacked Gio. Gio, right. Gio that's just the way it is. So we've got to find him. I, mean, I think he's the obvious suspect. Right. Back at the house, Claude, for some reason, decided to go through Gil's pockets and finds a little envelope of newspaper clippings. <laughs> and before she can completely read them all, in walks Gilles and they have a major confrontation and mm-hmm. we find out what He's been hiding. What in his past he's been hiding? His real name is Alain, Alain du, uh, is it Duprel, and uh, he is an ex-convict. Mm-hmm. As a matter of fact, he just got released from prison. Had been right. in for ten, ten years. years. He's described in these clippings as a rapist, and he apparently did strangle this woman, which is why he was in jail. Right. So now the flashbacks are explained, and he, well, for a minute he tries well, to he tries to strangle, strangle Claude. Yeah, he starts to strangle her. But then he manages to control himself. He controls himself and then sits down and has a little heart-to-heart and explains the whole situation. Mm -hmm. Every time I embrace a woman, I have to fight down the urge to strangle her. I'm an ex-con. A a beast. Well, you know. What if he puts that on his uh, uh, eHarmony dating (laughs) (laughs) profile? (laughs) Oh, that won't get him anywhere. But, oh, uh, no, if he no wait a minute. It, it might. It, well, if he thinks it's going to lose him points with Claude, he, he's misjudged Claude. Yeah, yeah. He explains that he changed his name, but uh, this only seems to draw Cla- Claude closer mm-hmm. to him. Uh, mm-hmm. She says, I love you. Mm-hmm. Something about true happiness. Yeah. Oh, my Lord. So, <laughs> yeah, guys, you're, those stories about convicts <laughs> getting married while they're still in prison, yeah, it's, it's true. It happens. <laughs> Even if he just tried to strangle you, apparently a woman can still be completely and totally in love with you. It's a strange, strange, you're a trash world we live in. I know, it is. It's... <laughs> well, the the cop and the doc are talking, and uh, the cop says, you know, all these women that are turning up with their eyes being carved out, mm-hmm. they're all blonde, and they all had blue eyes. And the doctor goes, how do you know they had blue eyes? And the, the, the cop's like, you know, come on. It's, like, it's not that hard. It's not it's that like hard. You go to the family and you go, hey, <laughs> what color were eyes? We keep records even in this backwards-ass village. <laughs> <laughs> I did think that was kind of a funny question. How did you know, how, how do you know they like, have blue eyes? It's like, hey, doc, it's not like no one ever saw this person before. Um, well, the doc, he still seems a little suspicious mm. of Gil. Asks Miss Bardem behind the counter of the cafe, do you... You do. You used to keep old newspapers here. Do you still keep them? And she says, yeah, just for the past couple, couple of years. years. Mm-hmm. So he decides to start going through the old newspapers. Now, Nicole and Claude, back at the house, decide to have it out. These two sisters mm. have been screwing the same guy, yeah. and it's time for the <laughs> argument that's going to come from that. Right. And since there's no more Povich show, <laughs> there's no daytime television mm-hmm. waiting for this kind of confrontation to happen, we got it right here. 
I like this. Nicole, please button your blouse. You look too much like a whore. Well, I like it this way. You have a way of dressing. That just by looking at you, people know what you are. The men are very difficult these days. There's too much competition. Nicole! Yes, and I mean you. Pretending always to be so haughty. But you didn't lose any time jumping into bed with a filthy vagrant, did you? No, it's not what you think. I'm not worried about you. When he wants, he'll come back to me. Experience is very important in these cases. Leave him, please. I ask as a sister. He really loves me. And not only for one night. We're in love. And that's a thing you've never felt. Well, rest easy. I'm not interested. He's not worth wasting my time. <laughs> I really do love that. Oh, that's... Whore. <laughs> There's too much competition. I love this. She she accuses her of jumping into bed with, with that, that filthy, filthy vagrant. vagrant. It's like, only after you had <laughs> fucked him? I mean, who humped his bones first, for God's sake? <laughs> Uh, yeah, if you're if you're expecting, you know, we are family. I've got all my sisters and me to play at this point. It's just not not going to fit the scene. I'm afraid that uh, I'm afraid these two are, yeah, not a lot of harmony here. Oh Lord, Lord. Well, it, nevertheless, the film immediately takes us to another beautiful woman alone at night. Mm-hmm. Oh, poor woman, and she is of course stalked to the tune of Frere Jaca mm-hmm. and attacked. <clears throat> With a some kind of weeding claw, some kind of garden implement. Yeah, and it's like in this big, uh, big around around these huge uh, vat, vats of wine, right? It's like in a big. Yeah, it's it's, it's, it's in a it's in a it's in like the, the, a basement with large casks of wine around. Right. And it's very very interestingly shot. Once again, Carlos Arad finds a way to to do something very interesting with this. He uh, gives us a perspective shot, uh, a point of view shot where. He splashes blood on what is obviously a pane of glass, and then has you know as as part edit, edits in the scraping of this bizarre garden implement across the glass uh, to kind oh, of yeah, right. give it's you a different of, look. Yeah, yeah that's a uh, well. It kind of reminded me of the thing you did in uh, Vengeance of the Mummy, where we had the when the two people were fighting the mummy and uh, were shooting the gun, but he did the shot from behind the door. Yeah, uh, where you know uh, it was a really nice again. It just yeah, he comes up with great ways to show things from a different perspective. All, all read throughout this film is finding interesting ways to shoot things, even if it's just someone coming down the staircase in the mm-hmm. house right. or, or sitting and looking at something. Mm-hmm. He's always he's always choosing a, a, an interesting angle and a way to shoot it. It's nice, nice stuff. I will say that when he plucks this one's eyes out, they looked a little squished. I don't think he's doing a good job getting them out whole because they looked a little like, well, soft-boiled eggs. But. <laughs> I want to say, too, uh, just go and point it out now, is that uh, on the audio commentary... Um, uh, Nashi mentions that it was his idea to use Frejaka because yeah. he said it used to terrify him as a kid. You know, the, and it is kind of creepy. I'll well, it is. That. He mentions that it's creepy, and it made me think. You know, just recently I watched uh, a movie called A Bell from Hell, which I thoroughly enjoyed, oh, and, and that movie, also yeah. uses Frejaka uh, extensively oh, through the film. Oh, it's been a few years it, since I've seen it. It makes me wonder if, uh, if there was just legions of European children that were tor- terrorized by this, <laughs> what people thought was this sweet lullaby, that there were these kids that were made to listen to this, and it just somehow has scarred them. Uh, for, oh, you know. Lord, that's, that's kind of funny. I, I despise the, the Christmas song, Little Drummer Boy, but that's a whole other subject entirely. <laughs> Well, oh. it's you know, it's it's also Bell from Hell had extensive uh, scenes of animal slaughter in it too. But once again, it did in a way fit the story because if you remember, the character was working yeah. in a slaughterhouse so that he could learn. He was planning on carving up human beings. Uh, once again, a lot for shock value. But again, as I, 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 
just one of those early 70s things that was kind of go th- going through films, this, you know, use of... True, uh, true. But I find the use of Frejaka much more interesting, and I just thought I'd point it's, that out. It's, that it's very a, creepy, and it was interesting to find out that that was apparently uh, Nashi's, Nashi's mm-hmm, idea, mm-hmm. and uh, Allred is sitting right there in the room with him and doesn't contradict him, so right. appears mm-hmm. to be true. Mm-hmm. Uh, would explain why that one piece of the score is something that always works, as opposed yes. to the rest of the score, which is much more missed than hit. Right. But now we learn that a farmer has found the body of Jean in a cornfield, and the guy's been dead a while. He obviously died from that knife wound that he got in the fight with Jill. Yeah, so as the cop says, we're right back to square one. We don't know who the killer is. (sighs) Oh, well. This is where we learn. We we get the scene with Michelle and Yvette having a heart-to-heart, and Michelle has to confess what all these phone calls have been about, and right. it turns out that she is a single mother. Mm-hmm. Something that, at that time, yeah. in that country, was very much frowned upon. Right. Which is why she's kept the fact that she has a son quiet, mm-hmm. uh, a young son. She's tried to hide it because she's lost jobs because of this fact. And apparently her son is is about to have an operation. He's been needing an operation of some sort. It sounds serious. Which is why all these frantic phone, phone calls, calls back yeah. and forth. Yeah. And if, but the thing is, Yvette is very sympathetic. She yeah. she understands. She's very nice about it. Mm. And she, she she says, "Listen, you you need to go and you need to go and be with your son while this is happening. You need to go into the hospital." Michelle doesn't want to leave her because yeah. she's the only one in the house with her right now. And Yvette says, "They'll be back soon yeah. enough." Don't yeah, you can you know, tell Yvette's not about happy about when she realizes she's going to be alone. But even at that, she's still noble enough to to send her, tell her like, "You yeah. go and do what you got to do. I'll be okay. Yeah. Just lock up, lock the door, please." Our next scene is at night and we have Nicole reading we don't know where she is right right we really don't know sure. where she is she's in some she's in some building she's someplace mm-hmm. but she's reading some kind of note or letter or something and prowling around what looks to be a basement someone's mm-hmm. basement now we've never been here so we don't know what this is i have the quote from the letter here do you or do you have it there no i don't I'll say, the yes letter? well the note the letter that she's reading uh, we get one sentence from it, again, having no idea where she found it or who it's from, but it says, you tried to kill me once, and I shall never give you another chance. And then she folds up the letter, puts it yeah. in her clothes or blouse or whatever, and um, and then she's, yeah, and then she just goes and begins to kind of, like you say, begins to sort of look around and explore this, wherever she, this is that she's at. Now, we don't know where this is, no. but as she's walking down the stairs and looking around this basement, this white paint, the white painted walls, we see all these draperies, Frere Jaca begins to play. To play can never be a good sign. It's not a good sign in this film. And then she's confronted by someone, someone we don't get to see. Mm -hmm. And she says, I suspected it. Now I know your secret. Mm. You won't dare kill me. Yeah, you wouldn't dare kill me. And the black glove killer shows himself. Two out of three ain't bad, Nicole. You were wrong with the last. (laughs) He had the first two right, but the third line, just sorry. (laughs) We, We don't see who it is, but this black gloved killer backs her up against the wall and slits her throat Mm. right then and Mm. there. Now there's a, a really nice shot. There's a oh, beautiful I love shot. This, yeah. That that shot where her she's hand. De- her hand and all the it's it's this white painted floor, brick floor right. the, of the basement, and her hand is in frame. And there's a little blood on it, and then she the, the her body and her hand are pulled out of frame, leaving just a little bit of blood on that white. Mm. It's really yeah. one, really well done. I cannot sing Carlos Alred's praises highly enough. It's wonderful. Yeah, she's in. She was introduced with the color red, and we say goodbye to her with the color with red. The color too. red, exactly. Now Yvette is at home alone. Mm-hmm. It's dark, and sadly enough, we have a lightning storm crank up. Mm-hmm. So it's dark. It's raining. Lightning flashing, and the storm knocks the lights out. She's a little nervous, mm-hmm. and uh, in another one of those great shots, she's pushing herself around in her wheelchair uh, there, there upstairs, 
and even gets a little too close to the top of the stairs before she spots someone coming up the stairs. Mm -hmm. She can't see who it is. And there's, this is really nice. The soundtrack as she starts to back, as she backs away back toward her room, as this person comes up the stairs, all you can hear is the ticking of the grandfather clock there on the landing. This tick, yeah. Taking there's those great nice. shots from down below, looking up at the at the the swinging pendulum of the uh, mm. of the grandfather clock. Really nicely done. She's panic stricken, pushes herself backwards, and then falls out of the chair and hits her head and kind of knocks herself unconscious. As soon as she falls out of the chair, the lightning strikes, mm-hmm. and we have enough light to see that the person who was coming up the stairs was Gills. Now the look on his face is a little strange. We're not altogether sure what was going on. He leans down over mm-hmm. her. And looks at her, and then the doorbell rings. <laughs> he immediately goes downstairs and opens the door. Right, and it's Claude. She had screwed up and and, and forgotten her keys, and had to be had right. to ring the doorbell to get in. Gills is completely guileless. He's like, yeah. "You got to come up here and help me. Your sister just fell out of her wheelchair upstairs right. just yeah. just now." He's saying, "I think I may have startled her." Or something. So yeah, but it definitely contrasts with the sort of the way he sort of you know was was very menacing a minute ago, or sort of seemed mysterious seemed, in the way he seemed, seemed to be. menacing. Right, but he was always in the dark. So right. the only menacing thing about it is he he, he could have he said, said something. Right. He just stood there and she, watched her. But the thing is, you keep playing it back in your mind and thinking to yourself, "Well, she never said anything to him, and it yeah. was dark. Yeah, he might not have known that she was getting creeped out until mm. she flipped out and fell on the floor. Yeah, so." You're still kind of, everything's still kind of up in the air. We see the the doc and uh, our our head cop Pierre speaking again. The cop makes notice that Nicole is missing, and the doc says the doc isn't really at all concerned. I mean, right. she's probably just found some man somewhere and is shacked up. That's just Nicole being Nicole. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, honestly, I mean, this woman just hit on a man old enough to be her father mm-hmm. in his own doctor's office. I mean, <laughs> it's a good guess. <laughs> Plus, he says, "Well, she yeah, didn't but, have she." Why, why are we worried about her? She doesn't have blonde hair, right. blue eyes. The yeah. killer's not going to be after her. Right. But then the cop says, well, neither did the nurse that was killed either. I think it was the same killer. I think everybody's, I think there's one person doing all this stuff. At this point, the doc, who's continued to go through those old newspapers, finally locates the news story about Gills, mm-hmm. finds out he's an ex-con, and brings it directly to Pierre, our favorite cop. Yeah. And uh, Pierre immediately is like, okay, wait a minute. Let me, we need to get out there. Yeah. But wait, let me call Claude first, because mm-hmm. we need to warn her, because she she has no idea. Mm-hmm. But of course... Claude does know. She's known for a little while <laughs> right, now. Right. And this phone call just basically tells her, Oh my God, my man. Hell, they're coming she, for my... She immediately yeah. goes to, to Nashie, I mean, to, yeah. to, to, to Gil, and, and warns him, they're coming for you. They're going to take you to jail. You, you've got to get out of here. And he is adamant. I will not go back to jail. Yeah. They will never take me alive. As I say, he uses the time-honored line and all that. That great. They'll, they'll never, never take, take me alive. Coppers. Coppers. Oh, yeah, we knew. One of us had <laughs> to say it. Just said, <laughs> They'll never take me alive, copper. <laughs> this is where we find out what the hidden bundle was, which mm. was a pistol with uh, a good number of extra uh, bullets. bullets. Mm. He pockets some bullets, grabs the, mm. the pistol. And actually, he was very proud of himself in the commentary by the fact that he made a point to show that he took extra yeah. bullets so that people couldn't count the bullets and say, like, hey, you, you, you know, you, you fired you, you a gun 75 times, times yeah. and you didn't have enough ammunition. So, yeah, very smart, very smart there. And he does, sure. hey, he, does I, he shows him, a, he shows him reloading later on. It's a smart move. It is a smart move. Uh, Claude goes with him, 
says I I can show you a back way out of here, a way that we can get away from them, and you won't spot them. I mean, you won't be. I'm sorry, you will not be spotted. Get some beautiful scenes of the countryside, which we hadn't really talked much just about how how gorgeous the area they set this whole uh, thing. You just get some amazing views from the house they're in. And through this whole uh, sequence here where she's trying to lead him away from the cops that are after him just get some truly amazing uh, scenes of the landscape and the mountains and all that, just gorgeous. Especially when we get, get up into this Snow snowy, the, snowy yeah. hillsides and this mm. mountainside. So we have our lovers literally mm. on the run. Yep. Uh, the cops show up in force, and they have brought armed civilians. Yeah. Really. You know, that's, 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 that's not good. It's not good, but we also know how quick and easy in these films it is to arm villagers and to get them to chase something and shoot it. <laughs> even even in you know the the this would be the early seventies. Yeah, I mean, apparently right, they exactly all grab up grab up a weapon and go kill the monster. <laughs> yeah. Oh man, but yeah, it's not going to end well when you see armed civilians running with cops right, in right. the same direction. That's that's not that's not a good good sign. We're getting chased chasing through the snow here. They're now. being chased through the snow. He tries to get. Claude to let him go off alone. He doesn't mm-hmm. want her harmed. He's trying right. to be a gentleman. He's trying to be a good guy about this. Uh-huh. Uh, she refuses. She says she's not going to leave him. And so he slugs her, mm-hmm. kind of stuns her there on the ground, mm-hmm. and runs off without her. Now, it was, it's really neat, by the way, she's incredibly sexy when she was laying there in the snow. Oh, yeah. And and well, while you say that, that reminds me, we didn't mention that. I thought it was just another one of the many neat touches in the film. But uh, that after, after the first time that, that they have sex, for the rest of the film, she wears her hair... Down, she wears her hair down, which is kind right. of a neat thing, you know. That she's I very to obviously that too. is is like dressing more attractive and wears her hair. Well, down she starts and, to honestly feel yeah, like feel a like sexual he's her, person, and, and that down. and that really yeah. brings forth. I mean, it kind of enhances the fact that okay, whatever this guy's past is, he's made her feel like a he's made her feel good, you know. And he obviously and, is. He does have her best interest in heart. He doesn't he, want her to be no, out here. These yeah. people have guns, and they're going to try right. to kill me, and right. I don't want you anywhere near me. Yeah. When she comes to, she sees him running up the hillside and realizes. It's a wonderful, this is a great scene it's with her. It's heartbreaking. It is, because she looks at her hand, and you know that she's either thinking, she's either thinking, I'll never find another one like that who will accept me like this, or in some way she's blaming, she's blaming her hand, yeah. that this all is because of me. And, you know, and it's just a, yeah, it's a very powerful, very, very uh, painful scene, and, and, and she plays it wonderfully. And It's it's really well done. But yeah. we now have the, the gunfight on the, the snowy hillside here, mm-hmm. and... Um, a lot, lot of gunfire, uh, and just like in most real gun g- gun battles, nobody can hit nobody shit. Nobody hits anything, yeah. <laughs> they start whacking trees in the ground, yeah. but they can't hit anybody. He does fire quite a number of bullets, mm. but we do see him reloading. Yeah. And uh, he's on the snowy hillside. He finally does get shot in the back by one of these, one, mm. by one of these guys. And since they do have, you know, some rifles, that, that does seem much more realistic than him ever hitting anybody with, <laughs> with a tiny ass pistol. Yeah. <laughs> After he gets shot, he steps onto a wolf trap, a very large trap. Mm-hmm. And so his leg is caught. It's quite bloody. Yeah. And so he's not going anywhere. Right. He's reloading the gun, trying desperately to get his get his leg out of there or drag it away or something. Mm-hmm. And finally, in slow motion, he's shot three or four times yeah, in the times. chest. Yeah. And the, the stomach is dead, lying mm-hmm. there on the snow. Mm-hmm. And the music just sucks here, people. Yeah, yeah, I know. It's just but, not the right... Because what we have is we have him laid out there. The the cops and the uh, the other civilians with guns come up there and they're looking down at the body. At this point, Claude walks up too, and mm. it's really kind of a touching scene. Shouldn't yeah, it should be it should be this completely beautiful, mm-hmm. really heart touch heart wrenching kind of touching moment. Instead, we get da 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 and the music completely destroys yeah. the emotion of the scene. It's yeah. just oh. God, it hacks me off. But yeah. it it 
people don't let me don't let me give you the idea that I don't like this movie, but the music yeah undercuts yeah. it so often. Well, it's because there's you know there's so much else that's so great about the film. You know? I know. It's just a shame. It's like oh, you were that, that close. One it's like, element, how did you miss? that I mean, one thing. So, but yeah, and it's not, and it's not like it's a bad scene that you can go, okay, well, the, every film has a has a scene or so that's not yeah. particularly yeah. great. It's not that. It's it's undercutting really good scenes. Yeah, they use it relentlessly in the film. Relentlessly, but here's the so, thing. Yeah, well, I was going to say that at this point, you got to look at the the runtime on the film and go, we're one hour and fourteen minutes into this movie. Yeah, yeah. Gila's dead. Uh, Killer's dead. Obviously, roll credits. No wait. Roll credits. <laughs> no. Well, wait a minute. No, because. <laughs> He's not the he's not the killer. Yeah, <laughs> and the film has at least another fourteen minutes. minutes. What the hell's going on here? <laughs> well, we know that the killer was not Gilles. Right. So what's going on here? Mm -hmm. Well, that's what the next fourteen minutes are for, people. Mm -hmm. Nurse Michelle is returning from having gone off to be with her son. Right. And uh, she's wearing a bright red overcoat. Mm -hmm. That's a bad sign in this mm -hmm. film, people. Yes, it is. She's trudging up the hill, walking from town out, uh, out, back out to the house. You know, it's time to make mention that she's blonde. Mm -hmm. Besides being, you know, a leggy, attractive woman. Right. And we hear Frere Jaca. Frere Jaca. She's being stalked. We have stalker cam. Mm -hmm. Someone's watching her through the trees, and he's got black gloves on. Mm -hmm. And sure as hell, she's attacked. Yep. They roll around. Big struggle. She's able to grab a stick, a pointed stick. Get a pointed stick! <laughs> <laughs> and stabs her attacker in the leg, in the upper yeah. thigh. Mm -hmm. Nice and bloody. Yes. The attacker limps off, mm -hmm. and then uh, she doesn't see exactly where. Michelle is able to get up and obviously, finally... Obviously, she's going to head to the house. That's the only place she can. And heads on up to. to the house. She goes inside, tries the lights, and realizes the power is off. Mm -hmm. Probably still off from the storm. Gets inside and notices that the wheelchair, Yvette's wheelchair, is at the bottom of the staircase and laying on its side. Mm-hmm. The wheel's still spinning. The wheels are still just, spinning. Yeah. And there's blood on the floor and on the mm -hmm. steps. And as a matter of mm -hmm. fact, the blood seems to lead up the staircase. Mm -hmm. Some kind of blood trail. Mm -hmm. She walks upstairs. I've never understood why she didn't go check the phone. I know. <laughs> yeah, hey. I'm going to follow this blood trail. But she follows the blood trail although, up the stairs. Although one could make the assumption that when she saw the wheelchair, her first thought is something's happened oh, to something's a vet. Happened to a and vet. that may be a vet's right. blood, and I need You're to go. Right. You know, she's, her you know, first thought is not going to be yeah, so, yeah. what we find out, which is she she walks up the stairs, and she finds a vet. And a vet is yes. standing. Standing. And as a matter of fact, she's black-clad, gloves, mask, the whole thing. Bleeding from a leg wound. Bleeding from a leg wound. Hmm. Would appear that Yvette is the person who attacked her. As a matter of fact, she then starts to babble. Yeah, she's obviously having some uh, mistaken identity uh, problems She's delusional. Here. Yeah. She starts talking about, you're not going to take Francois from me. I won't mm -hmm. let you. Mm -hmm. Well, I'm not mm -hmm. the woman who stole your man right. eight years ago. I'm really, I'm not him. Mm -hmm. But that doesn't go over well because obviously Yvette's gone off the deep end. Oh, and I love the line, I know your hair. It's the blonde hair that <laughs> appears to drive her nuts. <laughs> So they have a uh, fight on the stairs, and they tumble down the staircase, which is really... I don't know how I they did that. don't either, because I watched that several times thinking that's got to be stunt people. It's got to be. But if it was, they sure picked some great... It's not like in a couple of other films we've seen where it was obviously like a linebacker filling in for a woman, you know. I mean, <laughs> yeah, no, it's not. If it's these not are stunt that. doubles, I mean, I can't imagine uh, they would have asked the actresses to have done this, but if they, whoever unless, the stunt doubles unless were... Unless they, they really were, padded the stairs because the way maybe, he shot just, that, the way he shot that, they could have really cushioned that staircase. Because it's dark, too. It's dark. Yeah. It's with dark lining, but... But it doesn't... I mean, 
mean, they still tumble down those yeah, stairs. They, do. they, they could do. have really cushioned the stairs because mm-hmm. the way they shot it, we can't see the stairs. We can just see them going yeah. down the stairs. So there are ways that they could have done it, but man, it looks painfully realistic. Mm-hmm. It's the kind of thing that padding or not, you know, no no oh. stars of any film now would ever would do, do that. Like would, that. Would ever do, yeah. Regardless of anything else, you're you're, you're going to get bruised up at oh, the yeah. very very least. Yeah. By the time they reach the bottom of the stairs, she's strangling Michelle. Yvette is strangling Michelle. With the wheelchair, yeah, that's very interesting. Yeah, with the wheelchair, yeah. Which is a neatly bizarre symbolic piece there. Yeah. And we we back away, and Michelle is dead. She's yeah. killed her. Yeah, she's, she's managed to kill her. She's killed by her. using the wheel of the right. wheelchair there. And an unseen person then stabs Yvette in the back, in the lower back. Yvette falls dead, mm-hmm. bleeding out. And this unseen person, who's who's also wearing black gloves, places the knife in Michelle's hand. Yeah. And then we have another one of those great shots from mm. Carlos Allred, mm. where it's an overhead, I want to call mm. it a Hitchcock shot, yeah. where you're looking down on this scene at the bottom of the stairs, and there's the wheelchair, there's Michelle dead with her crushed windpipe, there's the stabbed to, stabbed to death Yvette, and mm. they're just laid out there. And it's just a, it, you could take a picture of it, and it would say double murder yeah you know it would right, say right. fight to the death or whatever yeah. it's just a beautiful beautiful image it's wonderfully done it is that's when we get to it's where uh yeah the door opens and inspector pierre oh, yeah and claude and and philippe all, they've come they come back from they the come hunt back from, or, yeah, or, they've come back from killing nashi yeah and when you you know when you've had a hard day of nashi killing <laughs> nashi killing i know it's you don't sad. expect to walk back in and find a couple of dead folks well they're coming and they're like hey we made it to the end of the nashi film and we survived uh oh wait a minute you know <laughs> thought this thing was over. <laughs> well, then the film does an actual no-joke fade as everyone stands there and, and Claude is just kind of stunned by what she's seeing because right. regardless of anything else, that's her sister. They're dead. Right. And the inspector walks over and picks up, I think he takes a cloth and picks up the knife. Yeah, picks up the knife, yeah. You can tell he's already making this, you know, obviously putting two and two together. And yeah, saying, he's okay, starting to look, he, yeah, he's obviously starting to look at this a little strangely. Yeah. yeah. And the film fades back into a couple, for some reason, making out on a rock pile. Yeah, real comfortable. and Doesn't look comfortable or warm. <laughs> no. <laughs> Matter of fact, with all the snow we saw in the Nashi Killing segment. <laughs> but uh, some of the rocks get dislodged, and out pops a hand, and it's very obviously Nicole's hand. And this is where somebody, whoever killed her, has stashed Nicole's dead body. Mm-hmm. So, now we have what I guess you could call the wrap-up scene. Mm-hmm. This is uh, in the doc's office, in the doctor's office, with uh, Claude, who uh, obviously at this point, qu- uh, a few days have gone by, yeah. and this is uh, essentially, she's she's uh, made the decision to go away for a little while, and the mm-hmm. doctor's, you know, agreeing with her and saying that she's she's probably should start, you know, she should go away and try to start her life over. Yeah. Nothing holding her back in the village now, you know. Right. Lost her sisters, lost her lover, you know, doesn't really, you know, needs to just get past it move on and... Claude seems to be having a little trouble right. believing that Michelle committed the murders, which is what everybody seems to believe. Mm-hmm. You mean Yvette? No, 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 no Michelle. Oh, that's and right, because they said that Michelle... Yes, okay, you're right. Yeah. Because she's, they... having, she's having a little trouble believing mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. And then Pierre shows up. Pierre comes in, and uh, he has uh, some interesting information, because mm-hmm. he apparently wasn't altogether sure that Michelle killed everybody either. Going to be difficult, but... You must try to remake your life. I'm sure you'll find someone to help you forget. It seems impossible that Michelle could have committed the murders and could have killed Yvette, too. Goodbye, Doctor. I wish you the best of luck. Can you wait a few minutes, Claude? 
I think you might be interested in this. Yvette wasn't killed the way it appeared to us. What's that? I'll demonstrate. Now watch closely. Taking the position of the bodies, and seeing that Michelle had the knife in her right hand, she could only have stabbed in these directions. And never in the back from the bottom up. And it's obvious there was a third person. What do you think? Is that right, Doctor? Hmm. Sound illogical. Besides, I... I found the weapon that caused the wound of its leg. It's very probable that in the wound there were particles of wood. Where did you find it? On the way to the station. That's where she was injured. The splinters were there on a trail of blood leading to the house. But that's impossible. Yvette couldn't walk. She thought she couldn't walk. It's just that when it happened, the accident, Yvette told herself that she suffered from a paralysis, let's say as a self-defense. But uh, in certain circumstances... Uh, yes. In certain circumstances, I'm sure she was capable of using her legs. Then... Then you think it's possible that she could be the killer, Doctor? It's possible. There exists a motive. The woman who took away her fiancé was blonde and had blue eyes. The type of victim the killer looked for, according to your theory, Pierre. You've lived in the village longer than I have, Doctor. I didn't know this woman. But I have another theory. These are the reports I sent Renée to fetch in Angers. They speak of a girl who, after going through an operation to save her sight, died through the negligence of a nurse. This nurse was put out of the profession for quite some time, even being forced to work out of the country. The past year, she returned to live in Angers. And what has this to do with what went on here? This nurse was Margot Dufresne, who didn't show up to work in your house club, and who a little later was found murdered on the highway to Angers. I still don't understand what all this is about. You recommended her, but she didn't want to come because she knew her life was in danger. For you never pardoned her for the death of your daughter. She also had blue eyes, blonde hair, and whose sight you couldn't save in that operation. Isn't that right? Hear me, Yvette. You must kill her. She took away the man you loved. Tonight, when you hear this music, go after her. It will lead you to her. Wake up, Renee. Huh? Huh? That's how you dominated a vet, converted her into a puppet in your hands. It was a simple exercise in hypnosis. You conditioned a reflex in her. Telepathy did the rest. The same as these guinea pigs that come to eat when they hear the bell. Yvette could get around by herself when she heard the music of the clock. These are just theories. Absurd theories. But you need proof. That I have. And this is certain. We found it on the body of Nicole. This is the letter that Margot sent when you offered her the job in Claude's house. It says too many things against you in it. Everything that happened was her fault. She wouldn't help me. For that, I murdered her. I murdered her. For that, I murdered her. Murdered her. I murdered her! 
And what you heard right then is a direct steal from the final sequence of the movie Psycho, with Pierre the cop playing Simon Oakland's role of, I shall now explain to the audience how all these people were crazy. Yeah, yeah. And if and and I mean, as as long as this last clip we just heard was, it's still shorter than the end of than the one at the end of Psycho. True, <laughs> true, true. And if that's always been the scene that that any, if any scene in Psycho is going to cause some controversy or have some people, they always talk of, about it being the showstopper, you know, or yeah. something, or or, or gr- not showstopper in a good sense, but in the sense of grinds things to a halt, you know. Yeah, but it's but you know, you kind of you kind of kind of had, especially at that time, you kind of yeah. had to have that kind of explanation. Yeah, I've never this, had a problem with it. You know? This is a little bit better because this is mm. a full. This is fully laying out mm. the. I mean, because at this point, when he starts the, when he starts into this conversation, when he or this a monologue, I guess, or this explanation of how he knows that this person didn't kill that person, right. We still don't know who the murderer is. Right. We still are clueless. But by the end of his speech, unlike Psycho, we know who the murderer is. Mm-hmm. Or, or we know who they were. <laughs> Basically, well, the two, because essentially there were two. There although, were two, yeah. yeah. One was a mastermind, and the other was, uh, you know, the, it was almost kind of a Caligari uh, situation there. Very much so, because he was using hypnosis, mm-hmm. the uh, using his pocket watch mm-hmm. to to uh, cause Yvette to do what he wanted her to do, to turn her into a mm-hmm. ki- turn her into turn her into a killer. Mm-hmm. And earlier in the film, we had a, there was a scene with them together where he's he's talking to Yvette, and and he actually has the watch in his hand, you right. know. And and at the not time, something you notice. At the time, time you don't think about it. Then yeah. you go back and go, oh, he had just finished one of those sessions where he was yeah. And the and the watch plays Frere Jacques. Yep. And, it's, a, it's a it's a musical timepiece, and and so during the last clip we heard uh, in the middle there, you heard where we did a flashback to where he showed him actually hypnotizing Yvette and calling forth these memories that whenever she would hear the music for Jaca, she would think that she was reliving this thing where this woman stole her fiance, and so it would send her into this murderous rage to kill something with blonde hair and blue eyes. But of course, really, what she was doing was enacting out the doctor's revenge. Yep, over the death of his uh, daughter. Who he blamed these these this nurse for, and also I, th- I thought it was very interesting. Remember that? Sh- remember the shot of the uh, the pendulum and the the grandfather clock, mm. and how that that seemed to mirror a little bit of the old idea of the the, the hypnotism yeah, action. Yeah. And, nice, yeah. And it, there, there there are lots of neat little touches really like that are. throughout the film. Mm-hmm. So the doc gets up and stumbles mm. uh, away from his desk, mm-hmm. and they follow him. Mm-hmm. And we now see this is where this is the basement. Mm-hmm. That Nicole went to, yeah. After she'd found that letter and read it, mm-hmm. she knew who he was. She knew he had something to do with this, and that's where she met her death. Right. He goes downstairs, and we finally get to see the entire basement, which he has converted into this shrine mm-hmm. to his dead daughter, mm-hmm. complete with a, a little mock-up of a room with toys and dolls and a dollhouse, mm-hmm. and he even apparently has her corpse. Yeah laid out on the bed there mm-hmm. missing the eyes yeah kind of sad because well it's kind of sick obviously it's kind of he's, gruesome done, little he's, scene. he's done he's done something yeah. to her flesh yeah but uh there are maggots yeah crawling, crawling in the eyes it's, yeah it's a nasty nasty it's 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 a heartbreaking sad and very gruesome scene at the, all at the same time true true and i will say this one of the neater things one of the one of the really nice things about this ending, besides it being a, just an incredibly sharply downer ending, very yeah. nicely done, yeah. is that something that on the commentary track that Nashi points out, obviously he's the, the doctor has done something to the to the body of his daughter, so she looks kind of waxen, right? But he still has that outer shell. But the maggots show that 
the body inside is rotting away, mm-hmm. much like the doctor himself. I mean, yeah. he has this this facade that he presents to mm-hmm. to the world around him, but he's mm-hmm. obviously rotted inside as well. Mm-hmm. He's a murderer. He's a killer. Right. Right. Yeah, and, and this whole ending is really nice. It's not; it doesn't end with a big chase and the doctor's death. Oh, this is kind of like these characters. I mean, the doctor's basically the the jig is up. I mean, he's caught, he's revealed, but they sort of let him have this moment with his with his daughter's with the body. They of sort of daughter, stand, yeah. you know. The rest of them just sort of stand off, and then it's kind of a very nice. It's creepy, yeah. and the Frere Jacques music continues to play over this scene, right? It, it, meaning that for once, the music, the music in the film gives you the the correct yes the right feel. Course. This kind of Almost at this point, the the version of the music they're using is almost melancholy. Yeah, uh, very very sad as opposed to creepy. Right, and nicely nicely done. Um, I was shocked to learn on the commentary track with Allred and, and Nashi that uh, they were criticized for that ending, mm-hmm. but I think the ending is incredibly strong. I, I think, think it's, it's brilliant. It might be because at that time people were just geared to have something more action packed, thrilling, some sort of death or some sort of. I, I thought it was beautifully handled. I thought it was. Well, you know, there was, I will say this: downbeat endings. Uh, Always have a hard, a hard sell yeah. to a mass audience. Mm-hmm. Uh, people want a happy ending, mm-hmm. and that's that's always the joke about Hollywood. You know, they'll they'll right. forgive you anything you give them a happy ending. <laughs> yeah. and sticking to your guns and having a, a downer ending, having a downbeat ending, having an unhappy ending, is um, it's hard to it's it's hard to to beat through. It's hard to mm-hmm. make it all the way through the process and retain that. I have a lot of respect for those kind of films. But yeah, me too. It's a hard sell. People yeah, don't like it. Right. There are people to this day who despise who who despise yeah. the Deer Hunter because it has a downer ending, and I was like, "Did you watch the Deer Hunter <laughs> and think it was going to have a happy ending?" <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. thirty minutes in, I knew this movie wasn't going to have a happy yeah. ending. But. Some people accept a happy ending even if it makes no logical sense or, or totally True. doesn't doesn't fit at all with what's come before. Now, I find this to be one of uh, Nashi's best films. Uh, both as a scripter, uh, as a performer, this is uh, if you want to do that thing they talk about on the commentary track about breaking it down and breaking his films down into the to the fantastical or the mm-hmm. fantasy horror films mm-hmm. where you have you know vampires and werewolves mm-hmm. and the ones that are, are completely realistic like this little mm-hmm. giallo. This is an exceptional film, regardless of what you how you want to think about it. This is a really well done film on every level. I love the the multiple. Essentially, multiple endings where you have the the death yeah. of Gills, yeah. you have uh, the the the, re- the reveal where that. that that should have fooled everybody, but the cop yeah. is smart enough to figure it out, and then you get the real killer. Who, in all honesty, let's be blunt, you had no way to be able to figure that out as you watched this movie for no. the first time. No, I agree. Which is, but but that's great because that means there was no way anybody was going to figure it out. There's right. no way somebody was going to go, hey. Right, the doctor. He's I manipulating the, this shit. I think so. the film sets it up so there's so many suspects, and so I mean, it's great because it keeps you riveted on every detail, not knowing what details are going to uh, end up being pertinent or not. Right. Now, I'll admit, when I watched the film, and again, I I remembered nothing from it because I'd seen it so many years back. On the, in the scene between Nicole and the doctor, when she when she pointed out the the when she pointed to his daughter's picture, and he reveals that he had a daughter that died. You know, okay, well, my mind files that away. Is like. Okay, there's something of his past we're learning. Is that a is that something about him? And also with Yvette being in the wheelchair, after you've watched a lot of mysteries, there always comes a point where you start to if you see somebody in a wheelchair, you have to kind of half wonder are they really is, wheelchair bound yeah. or not? But they even set that up by talking about the fact that you know the doctor himself saying that he thinks that her that it's 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 psychosomatic. Yeah. He so all these things are clues, but there's nothing that points you in the direction there's or or I should say rather there's so many things that point you in direction of so many characters. 
but they all, I mean, it's very well handled. It's, it's still tight. It still knows what it's doing as it goes along and knows where it's, you know, it's trying to manipulate you, you know, as, as the good mysteries do. And one of the things that I think was, was a nice little capsule form of talking about the film is that in the film, each character has a hidden secret, including mm-hmm. the doctor, right? Each a hidden secret. And as the film goes on, these secrets are going to get revealed mm-hmm. and it's the revelations of those secrets that drive everything. Yeah. Uh, I, I really like this film a whole lot. I, I think it's fascinating. Um, I'd like to uh, once again pull out video ooze. Yes. And uh, take the, take Mr. Nashi's words and include them in this. Mm-hmm. He says, like all my films, there is something sickly about it, as if from the beginning to the end it were oozing pus. That's an interesting I like a that. man who views his own art yeah. that way. Yeah. Uh, he says, a really caustic film in some moments in which not even the purest love is saved from destruction, where that kind of semi-criminal poor Gills, is nothing more than a victim of destiny who is shot down at the end when he really had nothing to do with the killings, where the filial love of a father becomes an obsession leading to murder, and where clearly enough there is incest in the persona of the physician with the embalmed corpse of his daughter, which he has to protect and try to bring back to life. It is a very important film, and I believe the best of those directed by Carlos Allred. Now, I have to agree with Mr. Nashi there. I think as a director, as a director, as a director, like I said, because you got to put it up against Horror Rises from the Tomb, which is also agree, incredible. But but that one, but remember, yeah. Horror Rises was his first film as That's a director. Right. That's right. I, and I agree I with you. I do it's, think this a, is a better director. It is film. more direct. Yeah, I, it's it is. I mean, overall, I still give the. Um, I like Horror Rises from the Tomb. Just I like Horror Rises from the Tomb slightly better. better. But these are probably. I mean, both these films do. Both those films together may be my two favorite. Nashi films all together, and and you're right. As a director, it's much more impressive. Carlos Allred with mm-hmm. Blue Eyes of the Broken Doll is just. A, it seems a like wonderful. he was really settling into the director's chair, yeah. effectively having having done his time under mm-hmm. Klamowski and getting mm-hmm. getting the the skills that he needed. He really shows off here. This is a well made movie i mm-hmm. love this thing yeah and uh, it's really nice that this kind of bucked the uh, trend that we had been talking about with our uh, so far in the nashi cast is the films that were high in our estimation from the past you know as we've been examining them in, in depth have have diminished somewhat and and oh this in one this case diminish. it was not in this no. case it was not the, the case I, I was happy that I was, I was really pleased with that is it did not diminish at all in fact it just i grew didn't think in it would either because you know? i've like i said i over the years i've watched this movie six or seven or eight times mm. and I've never come away less than really happy with this movie every time I've seen it. And part of it is that it's a really intricate puzzle box with yeah. a lot of complex characters. Mm-hmm. Nothing mm-hmm. about it is simple. Mm-hmm. All of these people are dark, shaded, complicated creatures. Damaged in everybody's damaged oh, yeah. either psychologically or physically or both. And I think mm-hmm. that's a lot of what he's saying in his own description of it there is it's it's all about a corruption of some sort, you know. It's a fa- it's a fascinating film and one that I, I rank I rank in the top five of his films. So oh, I'll be I'll I be agree. honest with you. I think it's I fantastic. I agree. Like I said, just based on just based on the ones we've covered so far, you know, I mean I I would put I would put Horror Rises first and this probably second, I think. Oh, I would yeah, put, you that's, know, that's, 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 that's pretty probably, high, you know. Admit. We still have many more to do, but that's at this point right now, just based on those we've covered, I think I put these as the top two. Uh, I will say this though: this does have the the harsh, the harsh takedown of that unfortunate score. I mean, highly big, inappropriate the, yeah. at times. Yeah, that's it the big. Undercuts flaw. it so off. It's, it, it undercuts it. It's one of the reasons why I have to defend the film to some people who still like the film and still will praise mm-hmm, it. But mm-hmm. the first thing they want to talk about is the shitty script, the shitty yeah. uh, score. And yeah. I get it. I understand. Yeah, I do too. But uh, and, and it does stand out. But now you good have, film, yeah. good film. Now you have seen 
far more giallo than than I have. I've I've seen a handful. I know you. I have wall. I have watched. You have yeah. You have and. Uh, so uh, obviously you like the film uh, as a, as a giallo. Uh, do you think it hits all the points? I mean, do you think it like fits very solidly? Okay, in the well genre, it hits. It, it hits. Oh yeah, well it definitely fits very effectively within the within the uh, the genre. Because he did say that that was what he was. I think it was what he was aiming for. Oh, yeah. I think he had seen a couple of the giallos, and I think that was what he had in mind. Was what he was trying to. Uh, I think he he definitely hits the target with this. It mm-hmm. is it is very much the black black gloved killer thriller. Mm-hmm. Um, like you said, it's got the psychosexual it's elements. Got the psychosexual the elements. There. It's. Re- I, I think it's a really good example. Like I say, purists want to say that uh, only films produced by Italians were giallos. Mm. I can understand that argument while yeah, thinking yeah. it's a silly, pointless one. Yeah. Now, where it would fall, if you wanted to start talking about categorizing it as a giallo and mm. about how good is it in relation to the best that the genre mm. has to offer, mm. then it gets a bit more difficult. Because the thing is, even though I have wallowed in mm-hmm. giallos for a good long while now. I'm talking like 15 years. I've been wading through every giallo I can get my hands on, and not in a steady stream, but right. just as I can come to them. The thing is, I truly love the genre because at their best, they are these twisty, turny, psychosexual thrillers with mm-hmm. odd little turns and bizarre characters and strange things that you just don't expect coming out of nowhere at times. But if you, mm-hmm. you know, if the film is well well done it makes yeah. sense i just a week or two ago finally caught up with a film that i'd never heard of until recently called the the, the killer reserved nine seats mm. which turns out to be one hell of a movie mm. that has it more than a couple of curveballs thrown in there i love the genre this mm. stacks up into what I, I would refer to this as one that ends up in the top 25 percentile of giallo for me nice. do they do they tend to have I would I would imagine giallos often have, uh, as you said, they throw out odd elements that you don't see coming and, and, and odd sort of sidetracks and clues and stuff. And I'm assuming that there's always things that are thrown out that really aren't meant to mean anything or just to make you, th- you mean think herrings? in one way. Well, like the, well, I wanted to bring up the muddy boots, you know, the scene. Oh, yeah, yeah. That, that really Definitely, ultimately, yeah. those, those boots mean nothing in mm-hmm. the context of the film. They really have nothing to do with the story, but I'm assuming that that's a giallo uh, kind it's, of convention. That, that, is, that, that, that is a, gia- a giallo convention. It's It's something that you're going to see in most of them. Uh, sometimes they can get really weird. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the the funnier thing, one of the one of the funnier things is when you you're watching a giallo and you'll have those things, and they're almost always much like those muddy galoshes. Yeah, they're a cutaway, they're a, an insert shot, and often they're so obviously a red herring <laughs> that it's so obviously something that was shot later and, and inserted. <laughs> That it just looks completely different. The lighting is wrong. Mm. Are you? That's not even the same flooring. Are we? Where is that? Where did that shot come from? And it'll just be some kind of random shot dropped into the end of a scene because mm. it's supposed to be something that someone is looking at or right. kind of thinking about, and mm. it's supposed to possibly lead you down one path into suspecting one character or another. That is that is a standard mm. for for the genre. That's true. They're not always as sloppy as what I'm describing, mm. but yeah, the muddy boots in this film. Yeah. That, what the hell did that have to do with? <laughs> yeah, ultimately it meant nothing, you know. But yeah, just, I guess the implication is that you know at that point he's in bed because he's been wounded and he's and he's he's not. They don't suspect that he's going anywhere. But so, like, why are so they, yeah. maybe he slipped out and was doing something in the mud. Yeah. That's, okay. So. <laughs> okay. All right. Whatever. So this film to me really brought home something that I guess I hadn't really thought of it even as strong ever before as strongly as as watching this film is that I think. Paul Nashi, Jacinto Molina, uh, really could have had a a career as a scriptwriter in the Spanish film industry as just a scriptwriter because he just 
I think he could write. I think he could write in pretty much any genre, and I know he did write in just about any oh, genre. Yeah. But the ironic thing is, I think that um, he probably, you know, he probably would have ultimately gained more, had had a more overall satisfying career for himself, and had more respect had he just continued on as a scriptwriter like he originally Behind thought he was going to be. Yeah. You know, because that's what he thought he was going to be from the first. You know, when he first wrote his scripts, he never knew he was going to be an actor. And, of course, he suddenly found this road to where he could actually make these films that were about these things he loved, the horror movies. But, obviously, at the same, because of that led to a lot of artistic frustration. Now, if it also is the reason why we're doing this podcast. Had he just been a scriptwriter, we might be aware of who he was, but we probably wouldn't be doing this show. So, And True. he wouldn't have this, this particular cult or fans that he has, but he might have had an actually more uh, uh, just... Uh, satisfying Satisfying career. at the that's time it was going because I really That's think, an interesting idea. Because when I, I, when I see what he can do with characters and with ideas, you know, he just brings, you know, no matter what genre he's writing in, you know, the, the end results may be varied because of... Well, yeah, think about that scene right right after he and um, Claude have their sex scene. Well, no, I'm sorry, he and Nicole have their sex scene and there's this existentialist conversation between mm-hmm. the two of them talking about their, their just general despair yeah. with life and at how... Mm-hmm how they feel about things and how they're neither both of us are nothing. Mm-hmm. This is a completely unnecessary thing yeah. for the construction of a film of this type. Right. You don't need it. But he but he puts it there because these are the things that are on his mind. He was a thinking, mm-hmm. intelligent yeah. man who wanted to wrestle with these kind of ideas. Man, mm-hmm. I see what you're saying. Yeah, I feel like no matter what they gave him, if they gave him a western, gave him a yeah. you know, a comedy, yeah. I mean whatever he wanted to do, I think he I think he just has put so much thought and, and inventive ideas and characters and, and then we also see in this again that difference between when he's in the supernatural mode, when he's in Waldemar Daninsky mode, you know, we love those films, but when he steps out of that uh, I do feel that the characters become just so much more complex, and the situations become so much more complex because he's not. They do seem to take on an extra dimension, especially in a movie so. like this. Mm-hmm. I see what you're saying. I, I don't. I don't like the idea of contemplating a world in which we don't have these. Oh, believe films. me, like I said, I wouldn't take anything for him. I mean, his his pain was our gain, as the old cliche goes. How yeah, much he suffered for his art, we now benefit from it because there's so Certainly much friggin' fun. I'm I'm so glad he did what he did. Yes. You know, but he might have slept a little better. He might have, you know, he might have not. He might have been a little. Might less, have had easier life, easier life if he had just stayed straight as a scriptwriter. I have a feeling he would have been much in demand Maybe. in the in the in the Spanish film industry. But uh, who knows? But uh, it's an interesting and yeah. yet horrifying concept. That there, <laughs> it my is. Friend. It is. Uh, you know, but uh, we'll take Nashi and those beautiful women and those uh, werewolves and all that mummies and all that good stuff. That's that's what we like. We're just glad it's here. There we are. All right, folks, I think that's going to wrap it up. If you've got any comments, you want to drop us a line, please remember you can contact us at nashicast at gmail.com. Write us a note, drop us an email, send us an image, send us naked pictures of yourself. Just warn us if you're a guy because that's really going to kind of freak me out and I don't want to look at this at work and kind of get weird, idiot. I was going to say, or, you know, send us... Uh, you can send us naked pictures of Eva Leon and say it's you, and that's okay. That's okay, too. If you have naked pictures of Eva Leon... Mm-hmm. Or Diana Loris. Or Maria Percy. Or, or, yeah, or, yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm sorry. I just kind of lost myself there yeah, for a second. Yeah, what were we talking saying, about? I can't remember something about an email address. I, anyway, yeah. we need to move on. Um, folks, next time out, we're going to hit episode number 12, mm-hmm. and we're going to hit it with a resounding thud. With no, a resounding sound of panic. <laughs> <laughs> panic! Ah! Ah! <laughs> we're going to jump back into the 1980s with one of our favorite Nashi films that uh, is a supernatural film but does not involve our beloved Valdemar. Mm-hmm. We're going to do Panic Beats next. Panic right? Beats. Moving back into the 80s, going to do another 80s The next gym. appearance of Alaric de Marnac, uh, the character we first saw in our in our uh, second episode, Horror Rises from Horror the Tomb. Horror Rises from the Tomb, that's right. Um... 
wow, that'll kind of give us 100% on that character, and we've still mm-hmm. got... We're, we're a low percentage on the damn uh, werewolf we still films. got tons of werewolf action to wade ah. through. Um, but yeah, you said episode 12. We have been at this year. Can you believe it? Uh, well, we haven't been at it a year yet. We'll have been at it a year that's true, when we, we get uh, yeah. Panic Beats up. That's right. But... Um, Wow! Yeah, it does. It has been. It has been a long road, but I've been. Enjoy, I've really been enjoying it. I have to say, mm. folks, I got to tell you this: we're just glad you're out there listening. Yes, thank we're, you. We're as hoping. Always. We're hoping you're continuing to enjoy it. Uh, the feedback we're getting has been very positive, and we're very, very glad that we're making people smile, and that we're kind of drawing the uh, the, the Nashy fandom a little closer together mm-hmm. in a strange way. Thank you very much. Thank you for your support. Yes, appreciate it as always, and have a good Christmas, and we will see you next time. Be good to each other and give good gifts. Mm -hmm. Or at least uh, don't whack each other with an empty uh, eggnog (laughs) carton, I guess. Remember, this is a Bloody Pit of Rod production. Go check out the blog. Leave comments. Send us email. Hey, send us gifts. I hadn't even thought about that. Oh, man. We could have have begged for gifts. Oh, crap. Why don't we? I guess it's too late now. Folks, thank you very much. We'll talk to you again next time. I am Rod Barnett. I'm Troy Gwynn. And we're signing off saying... Have a good time, folks.